Happy Sunday, ladies and gentlemen. The date is August 1st, 2021. Before we get started, we would be remiss not to say happy belated birthday to Harry Potter, who was born yesterday on July 31st. So, as you guys can tell, as we're wrapping up the end of our first season, we have always had a reason for the dates where we start and where we stop certain things. And today is going to be the final episode of season one of Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. Today we are bringing you the Harry Potter rankings episode where we have ranked a variety of different things all related to the Harry Potter series. I'm not going to give any spoilers away. You're going to learn about the rankings as we go through them. But I just wanted to say from the bottom of my heart before I turn it over to Chase, thank you for everyone for this culmination of a first season all coming up together in this moment right here. We are beginning our last episode of season one it's been one hell of a ride i've never been more excited about anything i've done professionally in my career and in my life and i'm just internally grateful for everyone who's made this ride a success so far so with that being said i'm going to turn it over to chase and uh we'll get started here shortly yeah guys it it really means the world to us uh words can't even describe how much it means and the ride we've been on all the way from a year and a half ago, starting with the MCU episode before we even had the audio equipment and grew like we did. We started just two guys that love fantasy fiction, uh, one from New York, one from Georgia, been best friends since college, just seeing where it goes, you know, throwing things against the wall. We we're like, we just love the content, so we want to put it out there for you guys. And y'all latched on from the beginning all the way through the rides of even of you know starting with the beginning people forget we did mcu star wars we did the witcher even the smaller ones like that but then you know ramped up on a whole nother map level put us on the map on game of thrones and then uh hanging with us through westworld even though we know that could get confusing there but you still stuck with us and then harry potter i mean one thing i do want to say is even just now we just finally got on the TikTok <laughs> out of nowhere. We, Josh and I weren't even sure how to really use it for a while. And we, you know, out of nowhere, now we're getting like 40,000 views um, just for like a, a quick uh, little segment of like our show that we're kind of giving you a clip of right before um, it drops just to kind of give you some vibes or questions you have and all the interactions. It really means so much to us. Um, and that's why we came up with that phrase, you know, it, uh, just like Jon Snow says, you're the shield that guards the realms. But to us, you're the shield that guard the realms of fantasy. And we will say it so many times, <clears throat> without you guys, we wouldn't be where we are today. All here opening at the close. We have been on the ride or die since October for Harry, Ron, and Hermione Granger. And we have conquered evil and uh just like one cannot live without the other and only one was going to be left living and it all left uh for the one of the chosen one in the prophecy it was all for good and i'm gonna let jay nelly kick us off today we got some badass rankings to get to and i'll go ahead and say it let's get a malice in the chalice jay nelly you got yourself a deal brother as jay said we got a lot of rankings we've actually got 10 rankings 
And I'm not going to give you guys any idea of what it is until we jump right into it, but I will at least say that we saved the best for last in terms of the rankings, which will be where we rank the books in order from our least favorite to our most favorite. So with that being said, we are going to start off. The majority of our rankings are ranked out of five, five being the lower bar, number one being the top of the top in terms of our favorites in, in, these, uh, in these categories. So we're going to start here with something fun. Chase and I are going to rank our top five favorite characters throughout the series. This is favorite characters. that I don't have to be confused with what's coming up next, which is also has to do with characters, but the top five favorite characters. Since I go at, went ahead and explained what we're ranking, I'll let Chase go ahead and give you his number five favorite character in the series. Yeah, and I gotta say, too, like, Harry Potter, that's one thing J.K. Rowling has done. She's done a lot of great things, I'll say, but one thing she's done amazing is there's so many good characters in these books it's almost so hard just to pick five but that's the fun part about it is because you really have to dissect how connected you are to each one to put them in there so you know i don't we don't aren't really doing any honorable mentions today so this is where it gets tough you know you really have to think about the series but i've said it from the beginning uh, this one, y'all probably forgot about this character I'm about to mention because I've said it a lot actually in this series, but it's been a few months since we've even mentioned this person. And I think Jay Nelly already knows who I'm ranking here, uh, but uh, I will say he is probably the most overlooked Hufflepuff ever because no one likes Hufflepuff. I got to give it to Cedric Diggory, and here's why, my friends. So uh, don't forget, let's not forget, one, he's the only one to actually beat Harry as a seeker in a Quidditch match, but he was so loyal that he actually acknowledged that he won the incorrect way, <laughs> and he was loyal as far as that goes. Also went up against with Harry in the Triwizard Tournament, was actually helping him out. Remember, they went back and forth with the cup there and choosing uh, whether or not to go with the cup and he was even giving him hints as far as how to win the cup and as far as the whole time remember even when he took Cho Chang to the Yule Ball and he's been in this actually since Prisoner of Azkaban so many people forget about that just because the films only really had him in Goblet of Fire he's one of those guys almost like a Eddard Stark, right? Like, he's not the most talented. Like, he's still really talented. He was good enough to get into the Triwizard Tournament and be named champion, right? That's pretty massive by everyone at Hogwarts. Harry wasn't even thought to be in that yet when he was first chosen. And uh, as far as just one of the good old guys, like, loyalty overall like one of those overall good athletes like someone you would put on the field that can play both ways um just a really an overall stud like talk about one with the ladies man like everyone rags on hufflepuff but cedric diggory he's been crushing it man even the actor that played him robert pattinson is about to play batman next year i don't know what other badass is called that man i don't know what other badass can step out of hogwarts and go protect Gotham City. <laughs> not everyone can do that shit. Fucking not to mention he did Twilight for the ladies. <laughs> no, I'm a Twilight fan. Fuck yeah, man. So I gotta give this one to Cedric Diggory. As always, I always say for the fallen. He's always been one of my favorite. As y'all probably remember from the beginning, 
I actually started with the Cedric Diggory wand, but I gotta give this one number five goes to Cedric Diggory. What about you, my man? Yeah, that's a good uh that's a good number five. My number five favorite character is Luna Lovegood. I really enjoyed Luna Lovegood. She, you know, had family tragedy in her past and she's always been a little bit odd and people never treated her very well, but it never stopped her from being herself. She never felt bad for herself. She you know, it was so sweet even at the, you know, if you guys remember in her room that we got to see in Deathly Hallows, like, she, like, wrote friends in, like, uh, never-ending chains around the pictures that she made of Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Neville. Like, you know, she just, an all-around sweetheart was there, the drop of a hat when she was needed. She understood Harry at a level I don't think many people did because, like, of his past, like, childhood trauma and his, what he went through. Um, you know, I remember, like, at the end of uh, Order of the Phoenix... She was, like, the only one he wanted to talk to because he lost Sirius, right? And she was able to kind of, you know, not pull him out of the funk a little bit, but, like, he gave, she was able to give him some perspective. Like, you know, everything could always be worse. And, you know, she just was an all-around great character. She never had any malice, even though everyone always picked on her. Uh, she never let that affect the way she treated others. So, number five, uh, ringing in to my favorite characters was Luna Lovegood. Awesome, man. Yeah, a lot of respect for Luna, so... She just wasn't quite good enough to get into my top five, but that's a very good one for number five. <laughs> no disagreements. It's tough, there. man, because there's stuff. so many characters, like you were saying. I mean, just to do it with five, it's hard to see who makes it and who doesn't make it. So that being said, man, what's up with your number four? Number four. So uh, this character, I will say, um, I think it also is very overlooked as well a lot of times. Um and this character has actually, in a way, really been with us since the second book. Um, you know, it, it started out almost as kind of a antagonistic character. I think you kind of might know where I'm going with this. Um, but he's always looked out for Harry and always looked out for his friends, no matter what the background he even grew up in and was able to kind of break away from that. Not to mention, uh, his magic is really always overlooked, but the biggest reason I put him as my number four spot is he always seems to show up at that moment where he kind of saves the day when you least expect it. Um, and so, cheers to the fallen again. This one goes to Dobby the house elf. I gave as number four to Dobby. And, uh... Wow. People forget even just the minor moments. Everyone always thinks of Malfoy Manor. That's cool. That's one of my favorite parts. But, however, that's what a lot of people think of when they think of Dobby because they think of Deathly Hollows and him saving the day and when he died. People forget. If it wasn't for him telling Harry about the gillyweed, Harry might not have even gotten past the second task. <laughs> so people forget about that. He's been there since book four of doing major important stuff even book two he was really the whole time trying just to make sure harry didn't get hurt which think of like everything he had to break away to do that going against all his uh the whole family traditions of he just needs to mind his business and clean the house um, and then he really has become kind of one of our heroes now and for that uh so i gave him my number four spot to dobby a free elf what about you my man I love it, man. That's great. Uh, my number four position goes to somebody you will see on my screen up here at the top. Mad-Eye Moody, Alistair Moody, whatever you want to call him. 
He was a badass Auror, man. He was one of the best to ever do it. He put away so many dark wizards and took a lot of physical damage from it. He lost a chunk of his nose, lost his leg. He was super paranoid throughout his life. He even got, like, jumped by Wormtail and uh, Barty Crouch Jr. And he ended up having his, like, <laughs> hair pulled out and the Polyjuice Potion was able to make, you know, even fool Dumbledore, honestly. So, you know, the, the mm-hmm. Alistair Moody, even after that, though, he still became one of Harry's biggest protectors in Order of the Phoenix. And, and as late as Deathly Hallows, you know, here's to the fall, like you were saying... You know, he is always the one to come up with the plans of how to get someone from point A to point B because he is the uh, tactical guy. He knows the, the minds and the workings of the Dark Wizards because he f- spent his whole life battling them, and he did it to the highest level. So uh, with my number four spot, we're giving it to Mad-Eye Moody and his magical eye, brother. <laughs> awesome, brother. Hey, much respect. Uh, Mad-Eye is easily probably one of the most badass Aurors out there. Um, so number three, this guy probably, I mean, to me, really, uh, I feel like the book wouldn't be the same without this person. Uh, this person, as far as, uh, I mean, of course, he was very powerful, but I think the fact that he has always been one able to think intellectually and always have a plan but also this is going to give it away right here be almost like a grandfather figure to harry potter uh speaks volumes and how he really has raised him up since the fact of he was a boy uh the most amazing moments i will say y'all can go ahead and guess who this is it's albus dumbledore uh, of course, everyone thinks, you know, he had the most famous battle with Gellert Grindelwald. He did fight uh, you-know-who one-on-one in the duel at the Ministry. Uh, he even, you know, even down to the cave, when he knew the whole plan the whole time was to die, he never hesitated. Think about that. He never hesitated. He knew the plan was to die, and he never hesitated and never stopped doing what he was doing. If I knew I was about to die, I'd probably be going to the casino. <laughs> just do whatever I can, man. Whatever. Go live my life. But nah, even to the cave where he saved Harry's life with Firestorm. And then all the way back to the astronomy tower uh, where, of course, he was shot off the most top tower with the killing curse and kind of hung there for a minute. And it was so shocking to everybody. Uh, his dedication from the beginning and the fact that he could have done so much as even going to be he could have been over the entire ministry of magic but he never wanted it because he never craved power like that he was never about that he was all about his students even to order the phoenix my favorite book when umbridge was putting her hands on students that's the moment where he stopped like you can do whatever you want to albus dumbledore and insult him he even let the whole ministry try to attack him and he had to escape the school but the minute anyone laid a hand on his students, he was there. Um, and just from everything he's done, was raising all his students like they were his own. I give this one number three to Albus Dumbledore. That's awesome. I think we must have been on the same brave length there, a brainwave there, I should say, because my number three favorite character is also Albus Dumbledore uh, for some of the reasons you mentioned. And the fact that, like, you know, he made mistakes in his past. He's someone who picked himself up after not going the right route, right? Remember him and Gellert Grindelwald were 
planning Muggle domination way back when for you know quote unquote for the greater good and so he did crave that power for a little bit but then he realized the error of his ways and he spent the rest of his life right. doing the right thing campaigning for the fallen the people who were broken down and downtrodden uh, he did everything he could you know he was a Muggle champion he was the chief Wizengamut like chief warlock of the Wizengamut you know he had all those Order of Merlins first class he just was like a genius at work. And he had a plan for everything. He, to me, Albus Dumbledore was the ultimate puppet master. He was playing the strings, man. Right. He led Harry to where Harry needed to be. He led Voldemort to where Voldemort. He needed him to be most vulnerable. He led Snape to where he needed Snape to be. Dumbledore was the ultimate puppet master for, the, for actually what ended up being the greater good in terms of getting rid of Voldemort and that evil once and for all from the world. So... On top of the fact that he went through a lot of family struggles himself, like he didn't have the greatest relationship with his brother because his brother blamed him for his sister's death. His mother died. His dad right. went to prison for attacking Muggles. So like he he barely brought himself up from humble beginnings and ended up becoming one of the greatest wizards of the age. And his magic was so powerful, he was considered the only one that you know who ever feared. So it's uh, he deserves a spot in my favorite characters rankings. He gets the number three spot for me as well. Awesome man. Hey, uh, of course, a hundred percent agreed on that. <laughs> Great stuff, brother. <laughs> um, so for number two, uh, this guy has always carried a very special place in my heart. Um, most people hate him. <laughs> I will say, still hate him to this day. <laughs> I think you know exactly <laughs> what I'm going to say. Most people can't stand this man, um, and. I mean, even to the fact of, before I tell you who it is, I will say people forget he was probably one of the most powerful uh, wizards out there. This didn't go into my rankings why he's my favorite at all, but uh, he was an amazing potioner as far as being able to come up with concoctions, even create his own spells is amazing what he could do. But uh, the biggest reason why I've always said this guy will always be in my top is because even almost kind of what you were saying with Albus, even back in the beginning, he kind of grew up, you know, with kind of a rough background, I will say. And uh, the girl he loved, he was one of those people that, you know, he kind of got friend zoned. <laughs> he got friend zoned. But, uh, you know, and he went down a rough path went the wrong way but he owned up to his mistakes and realized it was wrong and came back around and did what's right but because of his past and the perception he gives off because he's kind of more of a introverted guy everyone had the perception he was in a bad light everyone thought he was except for the guy we just talked about albus dumbledore and then in the very end uh we find out where it took all seven books all seven books to find this out everyone thought he was the enemy he was secretly working for albus the whole time as a double agent really looking out for harry which is absolutely amazing the you know think of what went on in this man's head um you know the torment literally all his friends were turning on him probably uh everyone in the hogwarts castle that was on the good guy's side couldn't stand him and he was really their superstar <laughs> the whole time when albus was gone like that's the whole deal he was the one 
you know, moving the boards on the chessboard when Alvis was gone. He was the one that the whole plan without this man could not happen. I'm giving this one. Cheers to the fallen. I raise my wand for this man. Severus Snape takes my number two spot. What about you, brother? I love it. I don't like Snape myself. We talked about it a lot, and I'm one of those haters of Snape, but <laughs> uh, I respect what he was doing and what he had to do. Uh, so that I could definitely see why people would have him in their favorite characters in their top five. For me, my number two is one of uh, Severus Snape's more like sworn enemies in Sirius Black. <laughs> uh, Sirius Black is one of my all-time favorite characters because he went through so much as a person. Think about this. He was the only Gryffindor in the House of Black, which were Slytherins forever. Like all, you know, most yeah. of them were dark wizards. A lot of them turned out to be Death Eaters. His cousin Bellatrix Lestrange, like his own brother Regulus was a Death Eater for a little bit. Like like he came he was the only Gryffindor and like he did it on purpose. Like he bugged the heck out of his family. He put Gryffindor hangings in his room. He's like, I don't care what any of y'all think. I, I'm not I don't wanna be like you guys. I don't wanna be different than you. And on top of that, like what do he do? He ended up spending thirteen years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Like they thought that uh, he killed Peter Pettigrew and he never did and he was able to keep his mind and become the first person ever to break out of the wizarding prison Azkaban. And from there all he did was swim as a dog across the sea, find out where Harry was to try to protect him, and because uh, he knew he knew Peter Pettigrew from like he saw the picture in the Daily Prophet of like the the rabbit or I'm sorry not the rabbit the rat uh, with the missing finger, and so and then from there after he was like innocence was proved to who it mattered to right to Aldous to Harry to Ron Hermione and Lupin and all that like he retook his mantle as a father figure to Harry. He was like a mixture of a father and a brother to Harry. Uh, you know, and he was always the one, like, he was a little reckless. Yeah, but he was very talented as well. He always was able to take care of himself and he always wanted the best for everyone. He gave them the headquarters to even for, reform the Order of the Phoenix. He, he was like one of the first ones there in the Battle of the Ministry uh, when everything kind of went down and it was the Order of the Phoenix. Actually, it was first it was the Teenagers versus the Death Eaters and the Order of the Phoenix showed up and, you know, Anyways, so to, like you say, Cheers to the Fall and Sirius Black does take the number two spot for me and my favorite characters because I love his attitude, I love his recklessness, and the fact that he's skilled and confident in himself and was able to do things that no one's ever done before. Uh, that's my guy, man. He's my number two, Sirius Black. Well, respect. Uh, can't argue with that at all. Sirius Black, he's... Uh, I've never found any problems with him. I <laughs> know you don't like Snape, but... Even Sirius Black, I mean, you can't say anything wrong about the guy. I mean, in a way, he's probably one of the most talented wizards out there, you know, and the fact he's a Animagi, yeah, I mean, not everyone can do that. I mean, he overall, and he was always there for Harry, and he really didn't even get to know him very well his whole life and still just picked up the mantle right where he left off after being on the run for so long. And can't argue with that at all, man. I mean, that's why this is so tough is you know just five um for a seven book series uh it gets very difficult but um definitely well respected on that he is uh one of the best wizards out there in my opinion just keep in mind this is favorite characters <laughs> so i couldn't put him in there but well respect good stuff um Cool, my top to i think y'all already know who is at my top and it's never changing 
Never will. She will be in my top just like Khaleesi herself. She bailed the golden trio out countless times. I can't even count on a hand how many times she bailed their ass out. Even going back to Sorcerer's Stone after Ron had to sacrifice his little ass on that chessboard because that's all he knows how to do. She still had to help Harry out with the damn riddle <laughs> that had to happen before he can even get to Coral. So let's even go back to year one. Not to mention year two. We're over here, you know, having to research the Chamber of Secrets. She's the only one that really knew anything about that but then she wound up getting petrified but then of course year three she really redeems herself goes gets this thing called a time turner saves everyone's ass uh even year four you know harry's the one kind of doing all the work here but who the hell helped harry do all the accio spells and prepare for the tournaments why ron's bitch ass was over here complaining <laughs> exactly and then now we're over here you know year six and year seven still bailing everyone out especially with like the confringo spell and all this shit and she still even takes the blame half the time and then uh because harry's over here trying to be buddy buddy with ronster and ronster has been an ass to her for like four books finally comes around this one goes uh to the smartest witch i i still think she's smarter than anyone her age should have been in ravenclaw but once again wanted to go to gryffindor a lot like me <laughs> a lot like me and uh in 2019 she became the minister of magic well deserved this one goes to Hermione Granger, my friend. She takes my number one spot. Always will be. I will be Hermione Granger lifer till the day I die. I know they kind of overblew her character in the films a little bit, but the way she was in the books was phenomenal. It was even described how in the beginning, you know, she wasn't exactly the most attractive character, but everyone eventually saw, you know, for her brains and her personality. And then finally, Ron came around when uh, she went to that Yule Ball and actually straightened out her hair in that hot dress. And Ron finally woke up a little bit and wasn't a, a dumbass. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and she even, it's the way she is. She's kind of like Tim Tebow, man. Like, helps out all the people around her. Finally, Ron started being, in, stopped being incompetent and actually trying to think through things in the very end. And I think it's because he was around her so damn much. So, and even to the point where she was just with Harry in Godric's Hollow and always casting the disillusionment spells. We've been through the whole content. Like, literally, there's seven books of amazing moments she's had, and I couldn't give it to anyone else. Hermione Granger gets my number one spot, man. All right. Off to you, Jay Nelly. Ranger Things, says Chase. He gave her the, exactly. the number one spot in his favorite characters. Uh, my number one spot, and it's not a surprise, guys. I've said it throughout the book series. I told you it was going to come up just because I just love his fucking character, man. Uh, Fred Weasley gets my number one spot. So for me, uh, good old Fred, they, they are so... Him and George remind me so much of myself growing up. Like, like mischievous but funny. Like People loved it because... They weren't willing to do the things that they're willing to do. The fact that him and George started their own joke shop, like when their parents didn't come from any sort of money, and they had, you know, they didn't really have any big startup. Like Harry gave them like the Triwizard winnings, but at the same time, they took it and ran with it, and they made a very successful business out of it. They had people. I remember back in uh, 
like Goblet of Fire, they made a bet with Ludo Bagman about the Quidditch <laughs> World Cup and like how the uh, the Ireland would win, but uh, Crumb would get the snitch, which would make no sense. And all of a sudden, that's what came true. And <laughs> you know, they just speak things into existence, man. They uh, they cause a bunch of up- ruckus when uh, Umbridge was the the deputy headmistress while they kicked Albus out. The minister kicked Albus out of uh, Hogwarts there. So. Yep. You know, and, and he just was always there when anyone needed to. He was always there to crack a joke. He was always the more... He's so confident and cool in himself. I remember in Goblet of Fire where Fred tells, like, Ron and Harry, you boys better get on or all the good girls be taken. And Ron says, oh, you, are you going with somebody? He's like, oh, good point. Angelina, want to go to the ball with me? And she's like, okay. <laughs> like, dude, like this guy just got it all, man. Like, he's got the jokes. He's got the charm. He's got the money. He's got the business acumen. You know, he... he he marches to the beat of his own drum, and you know even like you know he had a whole thing against Percy. Percy comes back and he's like, "Okay, yeah, you admitted you're an idiot. Cool, sounds good to me. Let's go fight these fuckers." And then ends up the you know the wall ends up blowing up, collapsing, ends up killing him. But even in death, it was a ghost of his last smile etched upon his face. Yeah. I'll never forget that line, you know, just because th- this guy was just someone who was so likable. Such a likable character. He wasn't the he most was. powerful. He wasn't like someone that really just stood out as, wow, Fred's a badass. <laughs> like, no. He was just constantly there to give you some comedic relief, show you that anything's possible, put your mind to it, and to believe in yourself. And for that reason, Fred Weasley gets my number one spot. And that will close out our favorite characters list. I'll go ahead and do mine five through one real quick. I'll let Chase do his five through one real quick. So number five for me, Luna Lovegood. Number four, Alistair Moody. Number three, Albus Dumbledore. Number two, Sirius Black. And number one, Fred Weasley are Jay Nelly's top five favorite characters in the Harry Potter series. Chase, go through your list real quick, and we'll jump on to our next ranking. Awesome, brother. Yeah, I will. I do want to say this about Fred. I mean, the, it, the book would not be the same without Fred and George. It just wouldn't. Uh, once again, they didn't make my top five because there's just so many characters here, but it wouldn't be the same. You wouldn't be going to buy no... Uh, uh, wizard Weasling Wizzles, whatever the fuck Jay Nelly <laughs> says. Weasling Wizard Wheezes. <laughs> Universal <laughs> if it wasn't for Fred and George, man. So shout out to your boy. That's excellent. Uh, my top five rankings. Cheers to the Fallen. <laughs> the first four for me, which are uh, five. Cedric Diggory. Four, Dobby, a free elf, the house elf. Number three, Albus Dumbledore. Two, Severus Snape. Number one, Granger Things. I even had a Granger Things motto when I won my fantasy football championship here. She's always been with me from the beginning. Number one, Hermione Granger. And I'll let you kick us off for our next rankings, brother, because I kicked this one off. So back to you, Jay Nelly. Love it. All right, so... Our next ranking is going to be another thing to do with characters, but this time it's going to be most powerful wizards or witches that we found in the series. Talking about their ability, like in a duel or just their overall, uh, it, just how like their their strength in terms of like uh, you know almost not quite like Dragon Ball Z where there's like a power like a power <laughs> scouter type of deal, but like you know when you see things happen that they do things that other people cannot do they're the ones that you want to call when your backs are against the wall so the most powerful wizards i'll go ahead and kick us off my number five here i've already talked about him before in my favorite characters but my number five spot goes to sirius black he was the first ever wizard 
to break out of Azkaban ever. That's never been done before. He did it. He was an Animagus. He was one of the very. He was one of four that were unregistered. You know that he was able to, to do that in his what third year at Hogwarts or fifth year at Hogwarts. Like the guy was still a teenager when he learned how to become an Animagus. On top of that, like he was like just really talented and skilled at everything. Everyone was saying that when they would talk about the flashbacks with James and Sirius. They would talk about how talented they were and just how everyone wanted to be them because they, everything just kind of came so easy. And then on top of that, he was a skilled duelist. We got to see him. He was taking it lightly. Like, Bellatrix Lestrange is no walk in the park. And he was dueling her while laughing at her. He was like, you got to do better than that, yeah, cousin. Like, he, he ended up getting clipped and caught just because he was being arrogant and, like, overconfident. <laughs> but, like, you know how much balls this guy takes to, to just not care, laugh at someone who's trying to kill you? You know what I mean? Like, this guy was talented, man. He was a very strong and powerful wizard. He knew he was very knowledgeable as well when it came to, like, the Goblet of Fire. And he was giving Harry advice. He was going to tell him to use the conjunctivitis curse into the dragon's eye just to kind of, you know, get get that egg and everything. And he was there right at the drop of a hat when everything went down. Uh, it was... Uh, he, he's my number five guy for most powerful wizards in, in the series. So, number five for me, Sirius Black. What about for you, brother? Raw respect on that, too. Sirius is awesome. Number five is a guy that no one's going to think about because um, he's more of kind of a minor character in the book, and he's really not mentioned much until Deathly Hallows, but it's for the greater good. Gellert Grindelwald is who I put as number five. And uh, everyone forgets, you know, he had that uh, famous battle with Albus Numbledore. And if you can take on Albus Dumbledore one-on-one, you're pretty damn powerful, in my opinion. People forget, uh, we talked about it in Interesting Facts a little bit. He was the only one that's really been able to conjure Protego Diabolica, which is almost like Fiendfire, but you can control it. Which, controlling something like that is so difficult to even do. Uh, And, you know, he was on the search for the Hollows. People forget you know, he, he basically made a whole army. He was the Voldemort before Voldemort, really. He was, but for different reasons. Um, and he was the master of the Elder, Lo- Elder Wand. Like, that's pretty damn powerful. It's the most powerful wand in the world, known as the Death Stick. So for that, I had to give it to Gellert Grindelwald uh, for... Uh, being my number five spot on most powerful witches and wizards of all time. What about you, brother? Number four. My number four for me, and this is why I had to take emotion out of it. I don't like this character. He's not my favorite. He was a dick to children the whole fucking series. But number four four for me, I got to give it to Severus Snape. And the reason why is because this guy was powerful enough to, number one, create his own spells. Sectum Sempra, Levicorpus... Those were Snape. He had a whole book called The Half-Blood Prince. Like, he made his own potions book and was literally rewriting how to do what an actual potions author was telling you to do. He was like, okay, I like what you're doing here, whoever wrote this book, except it sucks and I'm going to do it better. And then he literally basically (laughs) just made it. He was an expert potions master on top of the fact that he was able to create his own spells on top of the fact that this is really unsung, people don't realize this that much. I think it's something people will gloss over. Voldemort is one of the most skilled legilimens out there. He can tell the truth. If he tells you to tell the truth, he can look inside you and see if you're lying. Yeah. Snape lied to this guy 
for the whole series. He was able to block. <laughs> he was an ac- expert of Clumens. He was able to block, mentally block out Lord Voldemort from seeing the truth in his own mind. That doesn't happen. No one else can do that. Snape did that. And, and he was... He was so good at it that Voldemort gave him the right-hand seat at his table in Deathly Hallows. He's like, Severus, come sit next to me. Like, he earned the utmost trust, the utmost trust from Lord Voldemort into his inner circle. And not no, not no point did he ever give away who he was truly working for, even at the end. Voldemort says, I regret it, and ended up killing Snape. But he, Snape died while Voldemort still thought Snape was his man. Like, he did all of this while still, like I said teaching kids potions like be like you know he could do anything he was great at casting spells he created spells he blocked his mind to you know someone who could just really he's one of the most powerful wizards ever right like uh it's never a snake yeah. doesn't get a lot yeah. of credit but he gets my number four spot yeah no that's that's great uh you know i'm not gonna disagree with that <laughs> that's excellent um actually believe it or not severus didn't make my top five <laughs> and I wanted to, but he's my top five favorite, so I think that's fair. But um, number four, I had to give it to the chosen one. <laughs> he's not one of my favorite characters because he complains a lot and doesn't think through shit. But I gave it to Harry Potter, man. Number four, Harry Potter. And I think something's to be said for that. The fact that he is the only one that has really taken on Voldemort one-on-one so many different times and literally uses a disarming spell against him. Expelliarmus, like a disarming spell. Even Remus Lupin, one of, uh, you know, honorable mention, (laughs) excellent, one of my favorite characters said, like, that's very unusual to use that. And I know he kept saying a lot of it was you know luck like he was just acting in the moment or adrenaline but there's something to be said for that uh i bring up your favorite book a lot the fact of you know when he was in goblet of fire facing off against voldemort like he never backed down and he reacted on instinct and there's something to be said about that for how powerful you are and almost like Star Wars with your Metachlorian count. <laughs> like, there's something to be said about that. He was the chosen one that could take down Voldemort. He did. Uh, he made it through all tasks in Goblet of Fire. He made it all the way to the Ministry and fought through the chambers, even Sorcerer's Stone. He got through the chessboard, all the different areas to get to the stone, Chamber of Secrets. He took down the Basilisk. Big ass basculist. I'm talking big ass. <laughs> big ass here. Bread from a chicken and a toad. Shout out to Jay Nelly. That was on his interesting facts. I was paying attention when we went over that back in Chamber of Secrets. Uh, even Azkaban. You know, he took on all the Dementors. Saved Hermione. Saved Sirius. Uh, and then, you know, all the way jumping over to Half-Blood Prince. You know, he he did, you know, help. He killed some of the Inferi. That <laughs> was really Albus, but he tried. And then in uh, Deathly Hallows, of course, he takes down the biggest wizard of all time. Uh, worst wizard of all time. Um, most powerful evil wizard and that no one else could take down. They've been trying to take him down for two wizarding wars. And he finally did, which I know it was a help for a lot of people, but there's something to be said for that. So I gave it to Harry Potter, man, number four. And back to you, Jay Nelly. Fuck that guy. 
No, like, dude, screw, screw <laughs> Harry Potter. Literally everything that you said there could be attributed to somebody else, like, pulling the strings or being there behind his back outside of maybe the Dementor thing, but he wouldn't even have the opportunity if Hermione didn't have the time turner. Like, no, screw that. I, I, I got a problem with that. Like, Harry Potter belongs nowhere near this damn list. This guy ain't no powerful motherfucker. Like, he survived the first curse because his mom died for him. Like, yeah, he fought the Basilisk. Let me say that correctly for everybody. Basilisk. <laughs> down in Chamber of Secrets. But again, like, Fox had to come down and bring the Sword of Gryffindor to him. You know? And he had to, and Fox had to blind the fucker before he could even stab him. And then he go into... I don't know. He wouldn't even go into the Dementors. Like... He ended up falling off his broom because they affected him so hard. He ended up losing to Cedric Diggory there. You know, he had that great moment at the end <laughs> where he over, overcome it. Like, yeah, great job, Harry. He, did, he overcame it at the end and saved Sirius. Then we go into Goblet of Fire and the Triwizard Tournament. <laughs> Moody was literally pulling the strings, or the fake Moody. Barty Crouch Jr. was pulling the strings to make sure he got through all the tasks and got through it all right. Like, cool, we'll give him credit for his... Like, bravery. Maybe he's the most brave character of all time, but definitely not most powerful. He fights Voldemort in the graveyard, and his parents, like, ghosts had to appear out of Voldemort's wand to cover him and let him <laughs> run away and get back to the port key. Then we go into Order of the Phoenix, and Voldemort tricks his ass by making Sirius think he, he thinks Sirius is in the Department of Mysteries, and he goes running there like an idiot, gets his friends and family killed and hurt and all that, and doesn't really end up doing anything, gets possessed at the end, let's let's Dumbledore fight Voldemort for him there oh, in the Department of <laughs> Mysteries, and then uh, I guess that was in the atrium, because they had the, the Fountain of Magical Brethren that they were destroying all over the place, but then, from there, in Half-Blood Prince, he's an idiot, he's like, Dumbledore's like, hey man, fire kills and Fury, right? And Harry's like, okay, and then he drinks the thing, and then Fury's coming, he's like, Sucked him step like just stupid. Like, yeah, I don't know then, what was up with that. And then Dumbledore had to like at the brink of his last strength conjure a firestorm and get their ass out of there. And then Nathalie Hallows, and finally Dumbledore had to have Snape give him the memory of everything that going on, letting Harry know he's got to die at the right time. Like Harry didn't do shit. Like fuck Harry getting any sort of credit for most powerful characters. He that guy Dumbledore's so... army, man. Yeah, well that's fantastic. He started Dumbledore's army. Yeah, well he can go Dumbledore the fuck out of my face. That's what he can do. <laughs> I can't. I can't stand Harry Potter. So no, I just had a problem with that ranking. But anyways, regardless, let me go to my number three ranking now that I've gotten that soliloquy out of the way. Uh, my number three most powerful wizard in this series, Kingsley Shacklebolt. No one ever thinks of this guy. But dude was the Minister yeah, of Magic. Like, he ended up getting the Minister of Magic position right after all these events happened and transpired. Like, he was the, in Deathly Hallows. He was the one that ended up killing a Death Eater that was trying to attack them. He was the only one to kill a Death Eater in that chase from Privet Drive to the Burrow, or I guess to the Port Keys that took him to the Burrow later on, wherever you want to say the safe houses. And even before that, if we want to talk about in the very beginning of Half-Blood Prince, he was he was detailing the Muggle Prime Minister. They trusted him so much. They're like, hey, just in case Voldemort tries to overtake the Muggle community, you're going to be the Muggle Prime Minister's personal bodyguard, Kingsley. Trusted this guy was so much. He sent that Lynx Patronus saying the Ministry has fallen. Remember in Deathly Hallows, they cornered him because he spoke Voldemort's name. And he fought his way through a dozen Death Eaters by his self. Then, at the very end of Deathly Hallows, he was one of the three that were fighting Voldemort, well, I guess three on one, like McGonagall, him, and Slughorn were fighting Voldemort, like mano y mano, wands on wands, like Kingsley Shacklebolt does not get enough credit for how powerful this man is, 
and he's got like everything that goes along with he's big <laughs> built got that deep booming voice he's like a he's the head of the oars like man he's he's something else man i don't think people really realize how powerful kingsley shacklebolt is and he also has those quick little one-liners you know i know this was more of the movie than anything i know in the book it was the portrait but in the movies like Dumbledore's got style. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. Yeah, yeah, I'll just say, like, that. this guy, he's got, he's very, very powerful. He's very, very trust, trusted with a lot. And, you know, why not, they wouldn't have been able to make it through without him. They surely couldn't because he was a liaison between the Ministry of Magic and the Order of the Phoenix when the Ministry of Magic was against Dumbledore. And he was like, uh, he was uh, Dumbledore's almost a secret agent for him in there as well. So people don't put enough respect on Kingsley Shacklebolt's name. But he, for me, got the number three spot and uh the most powerful wizards in this series so he's number three for me kingsley shacklebolt i'll turn it over to you what do you got for number three yeah i can't i can't argue with kingsley shacklebolt i mean i don't know i mean harry potter harry potter is probably a little bit more powerful than him just throwing that out there the chosen <laughs> one i didn't see kingsley's name written on that prophecy just throwing that out mr kingsley so much for king in my book <laughs> throwing back here uh by the way everyone jay nelly i've told y'all this before he's a big lion king fan so uh you know <laughs> be prepared that's all i gotta say for that oh yes <laughs> wait to be kingsley can't wait to be kingsley apparently anyways okay so number three this is a badass witch this is a you know i don't like to use this word but i have to go with the ariana grande here that's that's a bad bitch <laughs> literally yeah neville longbottom isn't it how's mom and dad <laughs> number three goes to bellatrix lestrange ladies and gentlemen so and i know i get it sirius was probably uh maybe maybe a little bit more powerful than her but in the end he's dead so he can't do shit because <laughs> that's right she shot his ass through the veil and said see you later peace you really gotta mean it <laughs> that's right yeah suck it sucks to suck to get over a confident but even in malfoy manor finier grayback in the snatchers they backtalked her ass like a little child. She brought their ass to their knees in like three seconds. Brought their ass to their knees. Let's have a little conversation. Girl to girl. <laughs> girl to girl. <laughs> and Bellatrix Lestrange was Voldemort's like go-to girl. Like the right-hand wing woman is what she was. And people forget, you would think like she was married to Voldemort or something. I don't consider that cursed child stuff canon. She was part of the Lestrange family. <laughs> she was originally a black. People forget Sirius Black. She was Bellatrix Black. So if anyone can compete with Sirius, she could because she was part of the damn family and part of the pure bloodline. Then she married into the Lestrange family, got all the gold there. You know, she ain't... She, she, yeah. Put on my jewelry just to go to the Bottega. <laughs> That's what she did. She'd take my money when I'm in need. That's what Bellatrix did. And then she left Lestrange's ass, went over to Voldy, and then started kicking ass with those Death Eaters, man. She was summoning those Dark Marks with Severus. Oh, she was fucking badass. Uh, Bellatrix Lestrange takes my number three spot 
most powerful witches and wizards of all time. I think she's very overlooked. Um, and, you know, last time I checked, Finnier Greyback even, I don't want to say terrified Dumbledore. He thought it was gross. But, uh, you know, he was really in the business of ripping throats. And all he was ripping was his... Uh, his own teeth off the concrete of Malfoy Manor <laughs> when Bellatrix said, bend the knee, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you can get up off the ground when you bend the knee. <laughs> and number three, Bellatrix is strange. Turning it back to you, Jane Nelly. <laughs> so I want to go ahead and give Chase a quick fact check. She was still married to Rodolphus Lestrange. Even they were both Death Eaters. They all went to Azkaban together. So right. she was yeah, still. We, either way, my point cool. is, I can't ever give someone like a, a most powerful character spot when you were killed by Molly fucking Weasley. <laughs> all right, I don't want to hear anything when Mama Weasley blasted you to pieces. Like the <laughs> fuck out of my face, Bellatrix. <laughs> she was sitting there dueling three teenagers at once like a little bitch. She was dueling, what was it, Hermione, Luna, and I forgot the other one that she was dueling at the same time. But she was doing chill. Yeah. Oh, Ginny. Yeah. Ginny, Luna, and uh, Hermione were battling Bellatrix at the end. And then she almost killed Ginny. Then Molly Weasley's like, no, girls, this one's mine. And then she just killed Bellatrix Lestrange, so... Fuck that shit. She can, she can definitely take the most psycho character spot for sure if we had that ranking. That's for sure. But most powerful, you can check. miss me with that shit. She ain't the most powerful nothing. Anyways, uh, my number two. Quick t- fact check, though. She only exploded in the Correct, film, but in the Molly book. Weasley she did kill explode. her. I get it. Molly Weasley got lucky. She wasn't <laughs> even taking that shit serious. And you forget, Bellatrix was taking on, like, three witches at once in that fight. I didn't forget. I literally told you who she was fighting. I didn't forget. I literally said she was fighting Hermione, Luna, and Ginny all at once. But they were teenagers. She's fighting kids. <laughs> like, she's fighting children. Some like powerful teenagers. <laughs> they were powerful as fuck part no, of Dumbledore's they, army. They, can, they could all form, except for Ginny. And we know Ginny was a badass seeker. I'm sure she was pretty fast during that battle. But the other two could form corporeal patronuses i'm sure they had their damn otter and rabbit over there hopping around doing the hoppity hop going playing hopscotch with bellatrix and she didn't want to keep up with it because it was so damn embarrassing that that's what came out of their fucking wands that old belly old belly just like twilight bella lestrange wasn't going to put up with no shit so she was focusing on other things just like serious just like serious couldn't take that fight too serious yeah, well, she was fighting children, so I never got to see her fight anyone of Strength 101 except Sirius, who really messed with her, and then he was like, ah, ha, ha, you're dumb. And then he got hit. Regardless, my point is is that you, you can't sit here and be killed by Molly Weasley and expect me to respect you as a powerful witch. You can miss me with that bullshit. Anyways, my number two, my, my number two most powerful wizard in this series, Albus Dumbledore takes my number two spot. Uh, I know that's going to surprise most people, but at the end of the day, I'll say exactly why someone else got number one uh, You know when I get to it. But Dumbledore, he was highly regarded as one of the most powerful wizards of the age. He, wanted, he was wanted for Minister of Magic multiple times. He was the one everyone looked to in times of need. He was the one that stopped Gellert Grindelwald. He was the one that faced Voldemort one-on-one uh, uh, on that one occasion at the Ministry of Magic. You know, he's the one that laid all the plans to how to defeat him once and for all. Uh, 
not enough to be said. You know, he conjures Firestorm. He was able to take, you know, some of the best spells thrown at him by two of the darkest wizards ever, you know, and he was able to, to handle it and, and do his thing and still and still keep on ticking. But at the end of the day, uh, he doesn't get the number one spot. He gets number two. There's nothing wrong with that. Number two out of all the characters that yeah. were listed and shown in two this stars. series, the number two is pretty damn good. He was the best headmaster the school has ever known. He, like I said, like he has every accolade under the book under his belt. He just doesn't get the number one spot for me, and I'll explain why when I get to number one. But I'll go ahead and turn it over to you. For me, number two is Albus Dumbledore. For you, what was your number two? Yeah, number two. Um, a lot of people don't like him. <laughs> a lot of people don't like him, and I, I. Uh, what's funny is I can kind of read your mind for your number one too. <laughs> but uh, a lot of people don't like him. But you got to give respect and credit where credit is due. Um, you know, he started a massive uprising in the first Wizarding War, and then no one could take him down until a mother's love. <laughs> but all I got to say is this man. So Horcruxes were invented by Herpo the Fowl, who is one of the ancient wizards of Greece, who also invented the Basilisk. However, he was the first one to do it ever since ancient times. The magic this guy can do is absolutely insane. Uh, it goes to Voldemort, Tom Riddle himself. The fact that he can make Horcruxes split his soul. He took on Albus Dumbledore in the Ministry, conjured Fiendfire, and controlled it. He didn't pull a crab. <laughs> it just goes everywhere. We're going everywhere. Burn, baby, burn. I'm a disco inferno. Yeah. No, yeah, it going everywhere. He sent it on Albus. Uh, he was able to take on Albus one-on-one. He was able to get in Harry's head. Uh, the whole idea with Order of the Phoenix, you know, Harry couldn't master a clemency, unfortunately. I guess that kind of goes against my whole powerful thing <laughs> with him. But, uh, you know, they were able to trick him into the ministry. Um, you know, Voldemort did wield the Elder Wand after eventually t prying it from his cold, dead corpse. <laughs> yeah, but he had the Elder Wand, and, uh, you know, it's people can say whatever they want. I don't like him. He's definitely not a favorite character of mine. Um, but, and also Perseverance. <laughs> like, literally used the regeneration potion to come back when he was defeated and he was living off unicorn blood for all that time out in Albania. Um, Perseverance, his magical abilities with the dark arts is absolutely unmatched. Uh, and, you know, there was a reason the only one he ever feared was Albus Dumbledore, so that goes to respect for your number two. But I gotta give credit where credit is due and respect where respect is due. This one goes to Tom Riddle, also known as Voldemort, number two for my number two spot. What about you, man? My number one most powerful wizard in the series spot goes to Lord Voldemort. Lord Voldemort gets the number one spot, man. And here's a big reason why. Dumbledore dueled Voldemort in the Ministry of Magic to basically a standstill. There was no conclusive winner of that. Problem being, what the fuck did Dumbledore have? The Elder fucking Wand. Dumbledore had the strongest wand ever known to mankind, was its true master. 
and could not defeat Voldemort <laughs> in a duel one-on-one. It'd be different if it was just standard wands. Like, that's one thing. But Dumbledore had a decided advantage by having the most powerful wand known to man and still could not defeat Voldemort one-on-one. Voldemort brought about Dumbledore's death. Yes, I know it was a plan that Severus was going to kill him. But guess what? Dumbledore would never have injured his hand and the poison never would have gotten to his body if he didn't grab Voldemort's ring that Voldemort put a curse on. Like, like Voldemort yeah. literally they brought tried. about Dumbledore's death inadvertently. It wasn't on purpose, but he did. He was in. He pushed the boundaries to magic like no one has ever done before. Yes, like that guy that you said in ancient times you created the Horcruxes, he was the first one to create it, but he only created one. Voldemort created seven, actually eight, if you count the piece of himself yeah. he left on yeah. Harry. You know, that one was an accident, but he purposely created seven Horcruxes on his own. That takes some damn powerful magic. Not to mention his ability yeah. to control people's minds, to get them to do things that he wanted them to do. He he inspired so much fear in people that Wormtail, like, tucked his tail and ran to Albania and got all the necessary <laughs> ingredients to bring Voldemort back to life. This guy was blasted apart and killed and ripped less than the meanest ghost. And he came back. He came back, yeah, baby. Came back. Did Dumbledore come back? No, he didn't. <laughs> Dumbledore died and he stayed yeah. dead. That yeah. guy stayed motherfucking dead. So he's pushed the boundaries of magic farther than anyone else could. He can tell when someone's lying to him. He can break into your mind. He's got skill magic. He taught himself how he can fly without using a wand just right through the air. That was a big thing in Deathly Hallows. Like, oh, Voldemort can fly, by the way. You know, like... He just has all these tools in, in his repertoire. And yes, it even said, like, in Sorcerer's Stone, uh, Dumbledore was telling Professor McGonagall, I think it was in the first chapter, he's, he's like, uh, what do you say? And Voldemort has powers I will never have. And McGonagall's like, only because you're too noble to use them. But either way, like, Dumbledore acknowledged right then and there that Voldemort has powers that he'll never have. And I get it. He Maybe Dumbledore could get there if he wanted to. But the fact is, he didn't. You know, there's, there's getting it done and there's not getting it done. And Voldemort lasted longer than Vol- uh, Voldemort lasted longer than Dumbledore, and he terrorized the whole. He brought the whole wizarding community to its knees, bro. Like he controlled the Ministry of Magic, he controlled Hogwarts. Like, like dude, this <laughs> man was like. There is no doubt in my mind, he is the most powerful wizard. And I know that Dumbledore was a close second. It was hard for me, but the only reason I had to give it to the edge is Dumbledore faced him one on one and had an advantage with the Elder One and still couldn't get the job done. So because of all of that, Lord Voldemort. It gets my respect as the most powerful wizard in the Harry Potter series. I mean, that's hard for me to argue with. And you can see who gets, you can see where my number one is going. Because <laughs> we that's always true. tend to swap back and forth. My number one is Albus Dumbledore. And uh, we're going to play the great debate card. Let's do that. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> played a little great debate in a minute, Jane Nelly. So we're going to go back and forth on this, on why Albus and Voldemort, why Albus is clearly better. <laughs> okay. Actually, we're going to take it back. We're going to say if both of them were in their prime, who would win? And yeah. here's what I'll say. I'll go ahead and give my point first for why Albus gets my number one spot and why he beats Voldemort. Here's why. Albus Dumbledore, in my opinion, is the most powerful wizard of all time. Because keep in mind, you said it yourself, I get it. Dumbledore had to do everything he can to fight Voldemort to a standstill. At the same time, he was an old man. Like, he he was over 100 years old at this point. Because keep in mind, wizarding wizards' life, because they argue because of magical abilities, 
and magical medicine can last longer than humans. But he was almost 100 years old at this time, fighting a wizard that you can pretty much argue was just maybe a little past his prime, right? Maybe a little past his prime, maybe. After he got that brand new body? Yeah, fuck that. No, that motherfucker was in his prime. He was basically born last year. He was basically born the year before when that shit happened. At the same time, he's having to keep up for Harry's ass. Because Harry, yeah, I put powerful, because he has gone toe-to-toe with Mr. Voldy <laughs> one time or two. But at the same time, motherfucker can't control himself. He's over here crying in a corner about uh, clumency and Voldemort trying to get in his mind. He's over here making crying the ambulance Why Sirius is already back in, you know, he's a sad day, I get it. Like, he's gone off to La La Land. He's over with James and Lily now. Just hanging out, having fun. But Harry's going crying, and he's been casting the Cruciatus curse over on Bellatrix, but couldn't even cast it because he couldn't even mean it right. So at the same time, he's having to protect him, making sure he doesn't die from Voldemort because that could have just fucked up the entire thing. Albus, in his prime, took on Gellert Grindelwald, who had a whole army, who Gellert Grindelwald, um, it took Newt Scamander, Queenie Goldstein, uh, and... Uh, Thesis, his brother, who are all Auroras, just to even stop the spell that he casted, Protego Diabolica, from exploding all over Paris. Uh, at the same time, he won the Elder Wand, so he was the master of the Death Stick. All this time, also, intellectuality goes with it. That's where I think, I get it, Voldemort is very smart. There's no arguing that he's not. He even researched how to split his soul and everything. But at the same time, Dumbledore played chess. He was playing one step ahead, where Voldemort was kind of almost working on the seat of his pants the whole time. Like, he didn't plan for Dumbledore to die and had to go in the corpse and grab the wand. That wasn't the deal. Like, Dumbledore was playing chess, even to the point of when he was getting, you know, he stuck up for Harry with the DA and got out of there. And then was researching Horcruxes. Which I get it, you know, Dumbledore has made mistakes, especially with the ring, but I say prime against prime, Dumbledore would have beat Voldemort hands down all day, every day, and that's why he was the only one they ever feared. So that's why I gave it to Albus Dumbledore gets my number one spot, not just intellectuality, but I feel like in his prime, he could have beat him. What about you? Who do you think was a stronger, more powerful dark wizard? Gellert Grindelwald or Lord Voldemort? Lord Voldemort. Okay. Clearly. So, in Albus's own words, at the end of Deathly Hallows, he said, him and Gellert Grindelwald were evenly matched. Perhaps he was a shade more talented. Talking about Dumbledore himself. So, if he's just a shade more talented than Gellert Grindelwald, and you just admitted that Lord Voldemort's stronger than Gellert Grindelwald... I've kind of put Voldemort and Dumbledore pretty much on the same level, no? On top of the fact that it took, it was an accident. It ended up being an accident with Harry destroying the diary with a basilisk fang for Dumbledore to realize, oh, shoot, there's something else going on here. Voldemort outsmarted them all at school. He opened the Chamber of Secrets. This guy under Dumbledore's nose, in Dumbledore's quote-unquote prime when he was just a regular teacher at Hogwarts, this dude caused, like, mayhem. He killed a student under Dumbledore's nose. And like he he and on top of that, you know Dumbledore being the headmaster, like 
uh, the mere memory of him was able to open it again. Like, he got Dumbledore kicked out of Hogwarts as a memory, bro. Like, this guy can talk to snakes. He controls the, the what's it called? The Beast of Slytherin is what they call the Basilisk. Like, he is the heir of Slytherin. He's doing all these things. And like I said, he didn't, he, yes, he ended up grabbing the Elder Wand, but he was never the true master of it. And that was kind of the beauty of Dumbledore's plan. But the thing is, is Dumbledore's plan kind of backfired in, at the very, very beginning because he expected to be alive up until he grabbed that ring that Voldemort put the curse on, and all of a sudden Dumbledore's days are numbered and he had to re- like come up with a new plan. Yeah, I think Dumbledore's smarter for sure. But in terms of most powerful, what was the, his, his, his actual words? I know this was a movie's <laughs> words, but he said, Dumbledore was driven from this castle by the mere memory of me. Like, Voldemort, I, if, you, if we just agreed that Gellert Grindelwald was not as powerful as Voldemort and Dumbledore was just barely better than Grindelwald, at the very least, at the height of their powers, they're on an equal playing field. And you give Dumbledore the, the death stick, the wand of destiny, the elder one, and he still can't get the job done, just tells me he's not, he's not as powerful as you think. So, I, I, honestly, they're, they're playing chess against each other. And happened to be, I think, yeah. a freak accident more than anything. And even as early as Sorcerer's Stone, it was the luck of the draw that they figured out, and it was more hairy than anyone that was able to figure out that he was trying to use the Sorcerer's Stone to come back. Like, yes, I know when they did the memory, he went back and Dumbledore said, hey, Snape, keep an eye on Quirrell, won't you? At the end of the day, you let it get that far then, Dumbledore. So either you're dumb or, like, you kind of you did, you didn't take it as seriously as you should have, right? Like, how many times right. was he... Oh wait! Like, he got a letter. Is that's why he left the Sorcerer's Stone? I remember he got a letter that like tricked him. He's like, "Oh, I gotta go away from the school from this letter that got me elsewhere." And then in the Chamber of Secrets, the the uh, the Board of Education kicked him out because of the, everyone being petrified in the Chamber of Secrets. You know, like they he, like then on. And I know this wasn't had to do anything with Voldemort, but he ended up getting kicked out from the Ministry of Magic. And like, the fifth is like, yeah, Dumbledore is great, but Voldemort has. Been a step ahead. Like if Dumbledore was so great, he like he would have prevented Voldemort from rising again to begin with, and he's still able to do it while having an inside man under Dumbledore's nose again in Barty Crouch Jr. He had his own Death Eater as the death, like the defense against a dark arts teacher all throughout Goblet of Fire, and Voldemort, Dumbledore had no idea Voldemort had that guy on the inside. Like Voldemort is also very intelligent and was playing Dumbledore as well as Dumbledore was playing Voldemort. They were playing chess, and difference is one died before the other. And then you know, he never came back, right? <laughs> so like, they're both done, and they're both gone for good. The problem being is that Dumbledore had a decided advantage and still couldn't get the job done. And, and all those things, man, just to me, I, I personally believe Voldemort was a more powerful wizard of the two. So that's that's my thought. I I mean, I can't disagree. I can't. I disagree with it, <laughs> but I respect your opinion. <laughs> I mean, the only thing I will say about like Dumbledore dying yes he got overconfident I think that goes into a lot of you know characters downfalls especially in the series like Sirius Black and Bellatrix the Strange um I think I think he probably overlooked Voldemort for a while and didn't think I mean you know because he was you know he was out there living in Albania having to cut up horses and shit (laughs) like I mean do you think that guy's really a threat to the most powerful wizard in the world um so i think that's probably what happened but then at the same time dumbledore did have a plan when he made that mistake but so i i respect your decision i i that's a tough one that's uh voldemort almost did make my top too a top as well so that makes sense so yeah man uh you want to kick us off with our next set of rankings here 
Yes, just before I do that, just for everyone to kind of put it all concisely, I'll go from five to number one on my most powerful wizards. My number five, Sirius Black. Number four, Severus Snape. Number three, Kingsley Shacklebolt. Number two, Albus Dumbledore. Number one, Lord Voldemort or Tom Riddle. Uh, for most powerful wizards, according to Jay Nelly. Go ahead, Chase, with yours, uh, and then we'll go on and move from there. And for most powerful, <laughs> a lot of mine, Jay Nelly disagree with. <laughs> I have... Uh, <laughs> Gellert Grindelwald is number five, the chosen one, Harry Potter, number four, and uh, number three, Bellatrix Lestrange, number two, uh, Voldemort, and number one, Albus Numbledore, uh, the only one he ever feared. <laughs> but yeah, and I'll let Jay Nelly kick us off with our next rankings. All right, well, our next one is going to be favorite spells. Uh, throughout the series that we encountered in the books. And actually, you know what? I, since I was the one that started off the Most Proper Wizards one, let's flip it back over and let you go ahead and give your number five first. But that's the next ranking we're going to do is our top five favorite spells found throughout the series. So go ahead and, and kick us off and give us your uh, number five favorite spell, my brother. Yeah, uh, my number five favorite spell, which keep in mind it's not like it's the most powerful spell, but it is one of my favorites. Uh, it's actually Confringo, <laughs> which is uh, kind of a new one we were introduced to in Deathly Hallows, which was cool. Um, hand movement, you know, you point the wand at the target and it lights that fiery orange explosion. Uh, Hermione used it in Godric's Hollow. Remember, that's how when they were shot out the window, like Harry's wand split in half. Harry even used it uh, in the Battle of Seven Potters when he was trying to get away um, from uh, Voldemort and they were trying to create those diversions. Um, it actually was originally founded by Alberta Toothill in the medieval times. She used it in, according to J.K. Rowling, in a uh, wizard dueling tournament. So it was actually originally used as a dueling spell, which was cool. I was surprised by that. I thought Harry... Like might have invented it or something too like we were looking at but she actually did and she won the tournament and she's on a chocolate frog card holding the trophy up and it uh it was in honor of Confringo, but that was in 1430 but i just thought it was a, a really cool spell because you got to see those massive like explosions and remember when that whole incident happened with nagini and the snake um so i thought it was a really cool spell and i just liked it honestly um, so I rank that as my number five spell, man. What about you, brother? I'm kind of on the same vibe of, as you of saying my number five one isn't the most sexy spell, isn't the most powerful one, but it was one that has been used repeatedly, come up multiple times, and in really tight corners too. Uh, number five, my number five favorite spell was Expelliarmus, uh, the disarming yeah. spell. Uh, obviously, without, without, without being said, anyone that's watched or read the harry potter books knows every time voldemort and harry potter come face to face that's harry potter's go-to right and it's got him out of a couple tight corners and that was one of the first ones he taught the the da it was like when we were reading uh chamber of secrets that was the one that was shown in the doing club so it's been around for a very long time used in a multitude of positions and all it does is very simple it just knocks the wand out of your opponent's hand like it disarms them that's literally the name of it is the disarming spell expelliarmus so uh that for that reason, you know, like I said, it's not anything. It's nothing crazy. Nothing cool really happens, but it has gotten our heroes out of trouble in a in a multitude of of times. So, 
for that reason, number five goes to Expelliarmus for me. What do you have for number four? Yeah, uh, number four is kind of <clears throat> kind of the same thing. I mean, it's not. It's a well. I guess you can call it a sexy spell, <laughs> maybe sexy flexy. It's kind of <laughs> cool, uh, but it's um, iconic. I would say, just like Expelliarmus was. Uh, but it's Expecto Patronum! <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, I really do love this spell, which is even cool. It's got us a lot of notoriety here on uh, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy because our fans, you guys, are always asking us, you know, what's your Patronus and that sort of thing. For the last interesting facts, actually, we gave you a surprise. I told you Jay Nelly's Patronus and what it meant. And I told you my Patronus and what it meant, but I think it's really cool how it conjures that spirit guardian, which is can take the corporeal form of uh, basically almost like a personality test, kind of like really what your spirit, um, what your how your spirit is, and only pure of heart can actually conjure it. Which a lot of people don't know this, Voldemort could not conjure a Patronus. Now, there is some question and debate because Dolores Umbridge could uh, conjure hers, which we've talked about that before. But um, also, you know, the fact of a lot of wizards couldn't even conjure a full corporeal Patronus. Like, it was an advanced form of magic. Not everyone could conjure that. And it would fight off Dementors, which is, in my opinion, one of the most, like, evil, magical creatures. Like, just so sadistic and... Uh, horrifying to come up with um, and you know they used it so much ever since book three all the way through book six even all the way going up to grabbing the locket in book six I know the, the most popular one of course is Azkaban with the time turner and all that stuff going on but even in book six they were using it all the time there too so there's just so much useful and even the fact that we get to see a lot of other characters, Patronuses, like Kingsley Shacklebolt, you mentioned, he has that lynx. And then we got to see uh, Alberforth has the goat. <laughs> so the greatest of all time, the goat. <laughs> so <laughs> I just thought it was an awesome spell. And it's taught by uh, honorable mention, one of my favorites, Remus Lupin. <laughs> he didn't make my, make my top five, but I just thought it was a really awesome spell. So that was my number four was... Uh, the Patronus charm. What about you, my man? Number four for me uh, goes to uh, Protego. Just Protego. Like, it's a shield charm. So uh, it deflects, like, minor jinxes and curses. And obviously there's, like, like uh, Protego Totalum, which is a more powerful one and everything. But in and of mm -hmm. itself, I just, I just like Protego because when I was reading these books growing up as a kid and people just shooting these spells at each other, I always thought to myself, like, isn't there, like, any sort of charm or spell that could deflect these or block them and lo and behold we learn you know there is and that's why I, I really and especially it really comes to light in uh, Order of the Phoenix is kind of the biggest thing that Protego was really it had, it had its heyday I should say mm -hmm. uh, you know so <laughs> it, it, it's one of the, and especially when going into Deathly Hallows when they were doing the protection spells around their campsites and all the enchantments they were saying there as well. So Protego has a lot of, like, it's the root right there, but it has a lot of branches off in terms of what you protect yourself from. 
And so I just think it's super useful. And not to mention, obviously, for my uh, Weasley Wizarding Wheezes, remember, like, they <laughs> had those, the, the shielding charm on the hats and on the cloaks and the Ministry of Magic ended up buying them from the uh, from Fred and George because a lot of the, even the regular base ministry folks couldn't do a proper shielding charm. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. They they even you know they put the charms on the clothes themselves. Fred and George did, and they sold them to the Ministry of Magic because they they didn't even know how to teach their own people a proper shielding charm. So um, yeah, for that reason, man, number four favorite spell for me is Protego. Hey, well respected. It's a great great spell. Just uh, was tough to put a lot of them in top five but no i think it's great uh for number three for me so my number third spell is actually one of my favorite parts in the book so remember once again harry gets his ass kicked he's getting dragged to the bottom of the lake and then uh remember it describes uh, my most powerful wizard albus dumbledore he was paler than any of the other Inferi, but out of the darkness he was conjuring crimson and gold. And I put Firestorm as my number three, and I think it's so cool. It's a charm. Hand movement is that overhead circle that conjures it like a lasso. You can even shoot like fireballs over at enemies, and then you can even make that space where it actually protects the caster um, and provides a way to move through the flames. Uh, which is really cool. And that's actually called uh, Portus Temporis, which is uh, what parts, it's Latin also, that part of that, for it parts the area, I guess you would call it, uh, that uh, makes it so they can actually walk through the flames. So I thought that was really cool. And, you know, even after drinking the drink of despair, he did not let Harry slide into that lake and become nothingness what about you my man my number three uh spell is stupefy the stunning spell the reason why i like like the stunning spell so much is because it's a great mix of powerful but not deadly if that makes sense it's more powerful than Expelliarmus, but it's not deadly. It stuns your, your target and knocks them out, so that way you can get away from the situation. And it's just cool. It shoots like red lights, like jets of red. You know, uh, It was really, really used a lot during the fight in the Department of Mysteries, as well as uh, people were throwing that on the seven... Like when the seven potters came through and they were in the travel, like they were throwing a lot of the stupefied spells. So it's, and then that was one they worked on in the DA as well. It's just one of those ones, like I said, it's a good middle-of-the-road spell. It's not deadly, but it's more powerful, does a little bit more damage to your opponent than a standard like disarming spell. And I really enjoyed it, because it ended up playing a vital role throughout the series with a lot of people stunning their opponents as they learned how to you know, get stronger growing up you know, from being 11 years old, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. You know. So for that reason, you know, I'll take my number three favorite spell as Stupefy, and I'll let you go ahead and move into your number two favorite spell. Yeah, I know, and Stupefy is great. Like, that's a classic spell. Like, if I think of a spell that just comes to my mind, it's Stupefy. <laughs> so that's that's excellent. Uh, <clears throat> going into number two here, it's actually from one of my favorite people. Uh, and like we've talked about, Severus Snape would even create his own spells. So my number two spell is actually even one of my favorite parts in all the book series is... Sectum Sempra, which is phenomenal. 
Uh, it's so cool. I told you guys when we talked about this in the book, I always think of Trunks from Dragon Ball Z with the sword, like he's cutting Frieza and just lacerating him into pieces because it describes it in the books as an invisible sword and it lacerates the target. But it has that white light, the hand movement, you slash your wand. Um, and then, of course, the creator was Severus Snape, one of my favorite people. And even to the fact of... Uh, what is so cool is it just even to fix it he created his own healing spell that goes with that which was Volnira Sanator which has it's that song like incantation and you would trace the wand three times and the first time would slow the blood flow two would clean the residue and three knit the wounds but even the it's amazing the way he created the spell because secto sectum uh, was a participle verb that actually means to cut. And then simper means always or ever. And I talked about this on our 100th episode of Interesting Facts, but it's so funny because sever for sectum may be regarded as partly appealing translation as sever creates a pun for Snape's first name, Severus. <laughs> so I thought that was really cool. Uh, and just for the whole Dragon Ball Z moment, my favorite person, one of my favorites, uh, I put that as number two was Sectum Simpro. What about you, my man? Seems that we're on the same wavelength here as well. I also put number two as Sectum Simpro as my second favorite spell throughout the series. And a lot of it for what you said, and on the fact that it is considered dark magic, and that's why they couldn't reattach or grow back George's ear. So, like, this mm -hmm. is... Uh, severed body parts cannot be reattached uh, when this spell is uh, induced upon its target. But the fact that it produces such deep lacerations, they can be deadly. It's very easy for your victim mm -hmm. or your opponent to bleed out. And it's just one of those ones that if you're if you're battling someone and they know that spell and that intent is there, that's going to be a tough one to, to, to overcome. It's really cool. I like the way it's said. You know, Chase did the etymology perfectly in talking about where it came from in the Latin roots. Semper means to cut, and emper means always. So to cut always, like it's just boom. Like, like yeah, I just, I really thought that it was an interesting spell that came very late into the series, and the fact that it was created by someone whose initial, uh, his initial nature was to be bad and be a death eater and you know kind of cause harm into where it kind of came up. He, like, it kind of showed his own humanity by creating a counter spell to it as well. Uh, so that's why, for myself, I also agree, my second favorite spell was Sectum Sempra. Awesome. So, yeah. Great wavelength there, Jay Nelly. It's yes, always sir. the ones on the top. It's always <laughs> two. We're on the same wavelength. It's always like number two or three, man. It's funny. It's awesome. So the one that made my number one... I will say I was even debating about putting it in here because it's in the Harry Potter series, but it was used by Gellert Grindelwald. And the reason I put this as number one, I put Protego Diabolica as number one. Um, I am a fan of, fan of Protego, but the reason I put this as number one is because I was actually even thinking about working into working Fiendfire into my list because I think it's so amazing how powerful it is that dark curse that takes the form of like an animal or something um, but the problem with that is it's so hard to control Protego Diabolica Geller Grindelwald's the only one that's really actually shown 
he can truly use it. And he conjured it over at the Lestrange Mausoleum um, when he was actually uh, causing, he was rising a revolt and was going to take over Paris. But the big thing about it is you can control it. And it does turn into, uh, they described as the one he had turned into like a demon or uh, some type of animal that didn't really have a form. But he can control it and only loyal enemies can walk through the flames. And it has black flames that conjures black fire. But any of the caster's allies wouldn't be harmed but only enemies. And you can make it explode over the entire area. And it took three to five auroras, mainly Newt's commander, um, also his brother Theseus, and a few other ones, also including Nicholas Flamel, uh, to actually stop this thing when it happened. Um, and it's just such a cool spell. I think it's great. And um, I'm not as big of a Fantastic Beast guy, but I thought Johnny Depp did this part really well for there. But so I put Protega Diabolica as number one. Mainly as two, of course, it's an alternative form, just a more powerful form of what you put Protego. So uh, I thought it was great. So I put that as number one. What about you, my man? Yeah, I don't, I don't hate that one. It's just, it's, it just begs the question, kind of like you were saying, like, is it really relevant to the actual series itself? Because mm-hmm. I don't think we ever saw it at any point in time during the seven books. But it's a good spell, so I don't, mm-hmm. I don't hate it too much. Um, for me, my favorite spell, uh, Expecto Patronum, got my number one spot here. And yeah. a lot of it is because, number one, it repels one of the most deadly, foul creatures that walk the planet. You can repel Dementors with it who will suck your soul out. Like, if you don't have this charm to defend yourself, it will kiss you, suck your soul out, and you will be a lifeless shell that's just still breathing and sitting there into nothingness. Uh, so not <laughs> only that, like Chase was mentioning earlier, is one of his earlier favorite spells. Uh, it, the, it's almost like having your own kind of quote-unquote spirit animal. You ever hear people say, oh, this is my spirit animal? Well, your Patronus really kind of is your spirit animal because it kind of takes out your personality yeah. and things that are indicative to you as an individual. And the fact that uh, you can use Patronuses in a multitude of ways to shine light in dark places, to uh, send messages from wizards at, at different locations, and also to repel Dementors, it's just used for a lot of things. And the fact that each one has a unique creature or animal that correlates with the specific individual it just makes it so interesting because chase's patronus is a grass snake mine is a husky like and it's just different for everyone and it's amazing that just one simple spell can do so many different things and and encompass a lot all at the same time and without this spell we don't get past the third book honestly if we're we're gonna be really honest with each other like everything's done at (laughs) prisoner of azkaban if we don't learn expecto patronum (laughs) And it, it's gotten them out of a lot of tight places as well, especially with Dudley and having to use it in a muggle setting. And on top of that, you know, even going into the Battle of Deathly Hallows, he didn't have anything left in him. And all of a sudden, you know, they had the three people come up and help him out and say, Luna, Seamus, Ernie, all come up and they uh, throw their Patronuses out there and say, and Luna's even encouraging Harry, like, you know, happy thoughts, Harry. And then he gets up and uses his before, he, you know, he can continue that battle at Hogwarts. So, yeah, for me, Expecto Patronum. That was my number one favorite spell, just because it how much it encompasses with something so simple. So, uh, and it's not it's even simple, actually. I, I can't even say that it's simple because people were saying even underneath like the owl exam that Harry took, he was he, he the fact that he was able to perform a corporeal patronus got him extra credit in his fifth year owl because there's full fledged adult grown wizards that cannot do that. 
So it is actually a powerful spell on top of doing all those great things that I mentioned earlier. So that is my number one spell, Expecto Patron. Awesome. Well deserved, too. That's a great spell. Excellent. Yeah, you want to go through your uh, top five one more time before we yes. go to the next one? You got it, man. So favorite spells, according to Jay Nelly, number five, Expelliarmus, number four, Protego, number three, Stupefy, number two, Sectumsempra, number one, Expecto Patronum. And I'll give it to Chase. Go ahead and give your five to one, and we'll move on to the next one. Awesome. So number five for me was Confringo. Number four for me was uh, the Patronus Charm, Expecto Patronum. Number three was Firestorm, most famous conjured by Albus Dumbledore. Number two was Sectum Simpra. And number one was Protego Diabolica, because I like to see people burn up. <laughs> yeah, good stuff, brother. And uh, I'll let you take us uh, take us on in the next one. Our next uh, uh, next one's really cool. The next one's good stuff. You got it. Number then this one here is, is our fourth ranking. So our fourth ranking will be favorite potions found in the seven books. And I will start us off this time. My number five favorite potion that you can find in these seven novels is Wolfsbane Potion. The reason why I like the Wolfsbane Potion so much is because, according to Lupin, it's a very delicate, difficult potion to create and to get it just right. And mm -hmm. the significance and importance of it. It helps a werewolf keep his mind during a full moon turning. And that saves so many lives, and, and it actually it, it helps prevent them from hurting themselves as well. And the fact that it's just super hard to create, and only a few well-known alchemists or potion masters are able to create a, a competent Wolfsbane potion doesn't come up that often. But when we have the likes of Fenrir Greyback running around, biting people, trying to get them to turn, Wolfsbane potion, it's super important to the wizarding community at large. And so for that reason, that took my number five spot for me, Wolfsbane potion. I'll go ahead and turn it over to Chase. What's your number five favorite potion? Yeah, Wolfsbane is awesome too. Um, my number five potion is actually used a lot in this series. Uh, so I'm going to give you a quote here, and then you'll be able to guess what it is. So, coming from one of my favorite characters, Severus Snape, a truth potion so powerful that three drops would have you spilling your innermost secrets for the entire class to hear. Now, the use of the potion is controlled by very strict ministry guidelines, but unless you watch your step... You might just find that my hand slips right over your evening pumpkin juice and then Potter. Then we'll find out whether you've been in my office or not. <laughs> so my number five was Veritasierum, uh, the truth potion. So I just think it's it's so useful. It's, it's uh, literally true serum. <laughs> You'll spill your innermost secrets. Remember they were even trying to use it on Barty Crouch Jr. and Goblet of Fire once they found out, you know, he's uh, not Alistair Moody, and it's uh, even Umbridge, sick Umbridge, was trying to use it on students and use it on Harry, and it's just used all the time. And uh, it makes you even think about, like, what if cops could use that nowadays? Like, how much we would be able to just find out uh, from people, but... Yeah, it took about 28 days to make, and it was an advanced level to make it. But I just thought it was just incredibly useful. Um, I thought it was a great idea by J.K. Rowling to introduce that. 
Uh, so Veritasierum took my number five. What about you, brother, with number four? Going to the number four with me, guys, what, something you'll learn about me as we go through all the series and books and things we will cover as a podcast is that I have a very big fond spot for beginnings. I love the start of things. And so my number four favorite potion found in the series is actually the first one that was ever mentioned back in Sorcerer's Stone, and it is Drought of the Living Dead. And I love the little bit of full circle about this as well, because not only do we get to see it in Harry's first year at Hogwarts, we get to see it in his last year at Hogwarts in Book 6, because if you guys remember, Harry did not attend Hogwarts in Book 7. He was on the run, right. he was doing his own thing, right? So his last school year, uh, Professor Slughorn actually had them had Drought of the Living Dead made, and they could see it. So it was great. What it does is it puts someone in such a deep sleep, it makes it seem as if though they are dead. And what it makes me think of as well, guys, and if I like to correlate it to other pieces of literature, it makes me think of Romeo and Juliet, how they mm-hmm. t- she took that thing and it put her in such a deep sleep that she thought she was like that he thought she was dead and he ended up killing himself. Then she woke up from it, saw that he was dead, and she killed herself. But like that is because she was in such a deep sleep and made it seem that way. So that kind of correlated to me a little bit. And just the name of it sounds badass too. Drought of the Living Dead. That's dope. So for those reasons, Drought of the Living Dead actually hit my number four favorite potions in this series. You can't beat that, brother. Yeah, actually, I was doing research on that. I didn't make my list, but it was cool. J.K. Rowling was talking about that spell on Pottermore, and she tried to tie it back into Sleeping Beauty and Aurora, because apparently, according to her, there is another prince that used the Wiganweld potion and smeared it on his lips to try to wake a princess from drought of uh, living death. So, But that's, that's really cool. I always think of, like... Uh, Almost like the Disney princesses, like Snow White and that sort of thing. That's that's a really awesome spell. Um, mine was it's a potion, you know, not I'm a, a spell. sucker for the cave, man. <laughs> one of those, like the Bat Cave, <laughs> more like a Robin. Me, <laughs> I'm more like Robin, man. But uh, Drink of Despair took my number four spot. So thought it was an awesome potion. If y'all forget what this was. This was, remember, I don't know why they showed it in, like, a seashell thing in the film. But in the book, he conjured that goblet and was drinking it out of the basin, which is where the locket was that was over in uh, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Albus was drinking it. But the effects are it induces fear, delirium, intense stomach pain, and extreme thirst in the drinker. And then it's moment where, remember, we had that full circle moment later in Deathly Hallows where we realized what Albus was seeing and he was reliving those moments with uh, remember remembering Ariana and Geller Grindelwald when he was having delirium uh, but the characteristics it's actually emerald green in color and glows phosphorus but the fact that it was you know in that basin Voldemort put it there which was just such an amazing security defense um it had to take my number four spot. I thought it was a very creative potion uh, for this series. So, what about you with the number three, brother? Funny you say that uh, the Drink of Despair was as your number four because I was very close to putting Drink of Despair in mine. It just missed it. If I had an honorable mention, that would be it. So we were, you know, 
we both really enjoyed like the genius behind that that uh, potion. But my number three favorite potion is one that you actually already mentioned earlier in your favorites is uh, Veritaserum. I like Veritaserum because it's a truth potion. Three drops in your spill on your deepest, darkest secrets. And that could be useful for anybody. Like you said, they use it on Barty Crouch Jr. And he told them everything they needed to know. So it's just one of those things that, you know, you got to be careful out there. You know, you know how people be slipping stuff into people's drinks. You never know what might come out. And the <laughs> fact that it, it has to be brewed properly as well or else it's un, it's ineffective. So the fact that it, it, it does take a precise... Uh, brew to create it and and how devastating its effects are once done properly uh, there's no way i could leave it off my list like a truth a truth telling potion awesome if i want to learn anything about anything i can just give you three drops of this and you're telling me everything <laughs> awesome so for me veritaserum got the number three spot so uh, what about you man yeah man and that's funny you said that because we keep swapping in and out on these because uh if i had an honorable mention well, of course, we're not doing honorable mentions, but I even wrote it on here was uh, uh, Drought of Living Death. <laughs> so that's actually really funny. We swapped on those. Uh, and funny, we swapped on this one because my number three is actually the Wolfsbane potion, which uh, yeah. you hit that nail on the head, man. But, you know, just the fact of, you know, I remember Snape was bringing it to him in that big goblet that was smoking and it was blue and Remus Lupin was having to drink it and he was even describing how it was so bad but it basically turns him into that sleeping wolf and um, you know it, it was really just to kind of ease the effects like you said it wouldn't cure lycanthropy or anything but just kind of make sure that um, you know everything would be fine before that full moon and the ingredients the only thing known about it is the ingredients are wolfsbane, dittany, uh, valerian root, powdered moonstone, and moonseed. And what's so wild about this was it was actually invented by Damocles Rao. And it was the actual recipe has never been released because they're so afraid that if they release it, that basically chaos could happen with werewolves. So uh, they've never released it for security reasons. But yeah, it. Um, you know, the potion uh, had to be taken each day for a week prior to a full moon, and it must take the entire goblet full or it'd be ineffective. So I just thought it was very creative the way they kind of try to keep werewolves at bay, but also same thing with Remus. Remember, Albus kept giving Remus that chance when so many people were against him, and that was kind of his way to uh, cope with his situation so i took number three for me what about number two for you brother number two for me is the elixir of life the elixir of life is badass it is created through the sorcerer's stone and what that does it allows the drinker to live uh basically an immortal life as long as they have a supply of it uh for example in sorcerer's stone nicholas Fumel, he was 665 years old like you know, so think about it today. I think what the oldest person ever that lived to in recent memory, or at least documented, uh, was 120 something. Well, this guy lived to 600 and plus years old on this yeah. thing. So <laughs> it's just one of those. It, it's super rare. You can't find it. You can't really create it. It can only be like kind of created through the sorcerer's stone. You can only find the ingredient. Like, yeah, you know, I, I can't think of the word that I'm trying to use, but. Uh, 
yeah, you can only source it through the Sorcerer's Stone, and because of that, it makes it rare, and it does exactly what you want it to do. It, it, it extends your life as long as you have a supply of it. I don't know what kind of potion can almost be better than that, except my number one potion, but uh, that's why number <laughs> two comes into play. I got Elixir of Life at number two for my favorite potions. What about you, man? What's your number two? Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a that's a really awesome potion, but... Um, this one I gave to our mascot was Felix Felices, or Felices, however you want to say that, whatever etymology they want to use for that, but Liquid Luck Potion is what I gave for this one, so thought it was awesome. Of course, the effect is it increases the luck of the drinker. Side effects, of course, overuse can cause giddiness and reckless behavior. It's extremely toxic in large quantities and highly disastrous to brew incorrectly but it's actually a really complicated potion to brew but the fact that it basically looks like pure gold in the book and it even describes as the droplets leap almost like goldfish um but uh of course it's been banned in competitions like quidditch and rightfully so <laughs> but um of course remember harry uses it to go get that memory from slughorn Slughorn says he used it twice in his life. Each of them resulted in a perfect day. Uh, so I just thought it was a phenomenal potion. Even used, remember, Harry gives it to uh, Ron, Hermione, and Ginny when, uh, before he left for the cave and then the Death Eaters came in for the Astronomy Tower, um, which could possibly be how, you know, they survived, <laughs> I guess. So that helped. But um, it does have uh, I, it does have some interesting, like it. There were some debates on this where you know Hermione was saying luck can only get you so far, and they think that's possibly why you know they couldn't get past the Peruvian instant darkness power uh, that Draco used in Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. But I just thought it was an excellent, awesome potion. It was a great chapter the way he received that memory from Slughorn. It almost made me think of, you know, you're drinking that good champagne. You get that feel-good going. Get that feel-good. Just can't stop, won't stop, baby. Yeah, that's what we're doing. Going to Acromantula Lairs. Going to Aragog's funeral. Sounds like a good time. And uh, so I put Felix Felicis as my number two. Shout out to our mascot that's on the top of our shirt, Felix. He is that gold dragon, if you guys didn't know. Uh, shout out to Jay Nelly. He introduced me to Felix. So that is great stuff. And uh, back to Jay Nelly. I'll let you take it away with your number one potion, my man. Not much to say because it's the same one you just went over. My number one potion is Felix Felicis. Uh, number one because it means a lot to us here at Factor Fantasy. We got the dragon, the golden dragon Felix, just like the potion. It's a golden potion difficult to brew like you said toxic and over quantities it can cause overconfidence recklessness uh, giddiness all of that but at the end of the day if you can if you knew that whatever you would do you would be successful at if you took this potion why wouldn't you right like you you like if you have to use it sparingly like slughorn however old slughorn is let's say he's nearing a hundred maybe over a hundred in a hundred years or hundred plus years he took it twice like in two perfect days if I knew that I couldn't fail at something because I took a potion, you're damn right I'd use it. And I, I just don't see how any potion can be better than that. 
I mean, elixir of life, yes, you can keep living and go on and on, but as you keep living longer and your friends, and you know, here's the thing too, because remember I said I have a thing for first, right? And the elixir of life came in the first book. But the reason why I couldn't put it number one is just because you keep living doesn't mean your quality of life is great. It just means you keep, you're just not dead, right? right. You, you have to see all your friends and family die while you're still kicking. Anyone you get close to, you're going to live longer then. And so you're just kind of like, at what point are you just going through the motions of being alive? Where Felix Felices, you have the best day possible. Whatever happens goes your way. And because of that, there's no other potion that I can think that would be better than Felix Felices. I won't, I won't say any more. Chase already went into a lot of detail about it. That's my number one. Chase, go ahead with your number one favorite potion. No, that was awesome. I could only think of one that's better, but it is better. <laughs> oh, it is, Jay Nelly. The number one potion I have, and the reason why, before I tell you what it is, is because how useful it's been throughout this entire series also, I guess if you want to be shysty and steal something, it will definitely come in handy. Fuck the polyjuice potion. Number one. <laughs> what? I, I, said, I, I said fuck the polyjuice potion. <laughs> <laughs> the polyjuice potion, my man. Coming in at number one. Without this potion, the series would not be the same. Uh, we got introduced to this in Chamber of Secrets. Um, remember, they got the book from the library in the restricted sec- section. And it had, like, arms coming out of the heads of people for uh, the imagery that they were seeing on the pages. But keep in mind, remember, it allows the human to assume temporarily the form of another person. But the side effects are attempting to transform into animals or part humans will not work. Remember, Hermione Granger tried to turn into Millicent Bolstrode, but it was cat hair. And she got stuck in the hospital wing past the holidays. Um, but we've seen it used so many times. You know, the characteristics are it's thick and mud-like, but bubbles slowly. And then after the final ingredient, the taste of the color, though, depend on the person it turns into. Like, remember when they were taking the one of Harry's? Uh, they were describing how, Hermione was describing how it didn't taste as bad as Crab and Goyles, because Crab and Goyles tasted like bogeys, according to Ron and them. So it's... It's just genius. The difficulty level was advanced. It took an entire month to brew. The ingredients alone were lacewing, flies, leeches, powdered bicorn horn, knotgrass, fluxweed, shredded boomslang skin, and then a bit of the person that you turned into, which was typically hair, but they have been known to use dandruff and toenails, which is disgusting. <laughs> but it, uh, I remember how described in Chamber of Secrets how even painful it was the first time like i felt like harry was about to convulse on the floor but think of the times uh we've seen this potion used not to mention it even has like part one with multiple steps and part two with multiple steps but just in the books of loan we've seen it used when searching for the heir of slytherin when you know harry and ron imitated crab and goyle and tried to investigate malfoy and accuse him and try to find out who the heir was. Barty Crouch Jr. and Goblet of Fire used it to be Alistair Moody. The plot against Dumbledore when Draco Malfoy stole some from Horace Slughorn and then Crab and Goyle were using the Polyjuice Potion to be girls. And then the Battle of Seven Potters, the infiltration of the Ministry when you had, uh, you know, they all turned into different people to go get the locket. 
And then, of course, Gringotts Bank, when Hermione became Bellatrix the Strange. I just found it so useful. I don't think the series would be the same at all without it. Um, so I had to put Polyjuice Potion, that mud-like potion, taking shots at that at the old cowboys. <laughs> Most definitely, I took that as uh, number one. I say take shots of it because remember, the more you drink, the more you turn into a different person, ladies and gentlemen. And that's exactly what the folly juice potion was. Uh, back over to Jay Nelly for our next section of rankings. Yeah, well, I got a couple things. First off, we got to go five through one on favorite <laughs> potions. So, favorite potions according to Jay Nelly, five through one. Number five, Wolfsbane Potion. Number four, Drought of the Living Dead. Number three, Veritas Serum. Number two, Elixir of Life. Number one, Felix Felices. Those are my favorite potions found in the series. Chase, go through yours real quick. Yeah, so for number five, I had Veritasierum. Number four was Drink of Despair. Number three was Wolfsbane Potion. Number two was Felix Felices. And then number one, I gave it to the Polyjuice Potion uh, for my rankings on potions. Excellent. Now... I am going to be playing a Malice in the Chalice card. <laughs> so that's my second thing here. Because all I hear about you and talk about that Polyjuice potion is Hermione this, Hermione that, and how much you love Hermione because <laughs> she's your favorite character. So now, and talk about favorite characters, without giving actual reasons why and going in depth just for the sake of like efficiency, what are your top five least favorite characters in this damn series? <laughs> Ooh, going, uh, going, uh, yeah, going, rogue. going sad and depressing. Off the top of my head. So, I would say Neville Long, <laughs> I would say Harry Potter, Neville Longbottom, Voldemort, um, Rodolphus Lestrange, <laughs> uh, and I will say, uh, Barty Crouch Jr., for the my top, of your head. top five I think if you had more time to think about it You would come up with different ones For me, if I've got to go off the top of my head Of five that I really don't like I think Percy Weasley is my number five I can't stand Percy, he's a fucking piece uh, of shit yeah, Percy. Uh, Number yeah, four, Argus Filch Argus Filch is just a pain in the ass to anyone <laughs> Num filled. Number three, Uncle Vernon He was a piece of shit to Harry throughout his whole life He was a dickhead <laughs> for no damn reason like, at least I am Petunia and Dudley had some appreciation towards Harry. Uncle Vernon couldn't even shake his hand. He went to shake his hand, and he's like, ah. He, he pulled it back. So. <laughs> and then uh, I would say probably my second one, uh, Gilderoy Lockhart. Can't stand Gilderoy Lockhart. He was my second least favorite. Yeah. Then my most least favorite character ever created in the fucking Harry Potter series was Dolores Umbridge. <laughs> yeah, I can't stand Dolores Umbridge. Well played. She those... takes my number one. Take Rodolphus out of there. Well played. You're right. Yeah. So those are my, my yeah. least favorites. So again, for everyone listening for that stupid malice in the card, that would go Percy Weasley 5, Argus Filch 4, Uncle Vernon 3, uh, Gilderoy Lockhart 2, and Dolores Umbridge 1 for me. So that was just quick for you. Yeah. <laughs> that was great man and i'll i'll say mine last time just so because now we threw dolores in there so number five was harry potter number four was neville longbottom number three was voldemort 
Number two was Barty Crouch Jr. And number one was Dolores Umbridge. Cool. Awesome. My malice card is off to the Shadow Realm. We'll go back to our regular scheduled rankings. I just had to throw that out there to mess with them. Um, (laughs) Loved it. Yeah, my uh, let's go to the next one. My next one here is the favorite magical plants and herbs that you can find in the Harry Potter series. I started the last one off. Chase, you go ahead and start this one off at your number five. Yeah, so my number five here is actually Venomous Tentacula. So that's one that's overlooked a lot, but I thought it was really cool. They're green, spiky, toothsome plants. Their mobile vines grab living prey. Uh, it says when venomous tentacula is spelled on a victim, it shoots its spikes that were deadly. Also, its bite was highly venomous, and the juice is like a lethal poison. But uh, it's described as having giant eyeless head with fangs. Um, though the shape of its mouth can vary, um, it does... Uh, try to attack anything surrounding it but then they have those massive appendage like arms Um, as far as the severing charm could be used to stun the plant and sever its vines which was of course the cutting spell but um, I just thought it was really cool like I I thought it kind of reminded me of almost like a almost like a, a more dangerous version of Devil's Snare a little bit almost like a spider that's vines like a spider plant um so i thought it was really cool um yeah so i i put that as my number five was venomous tentacula what about you jay nelly i have that on my list but not quite yet uh so my number five of favorite magical plants is gillyweed uh, gillyweed is something interesting, guys. You take a little bit of that, and all of a sudden you become a fish. <laughs> like, like you can breathe <laughs> underwater for however long it lasts. It's just it was very useful in the second task. Dobby was one of the ones like he he gave it to Harry, which like one of his one of his last big moments that he had before Deathly Hallows. So uh, it was just something that it's. Can you imagine just being able to grab leaves of a plant? put them in your mouth and all of a sudden you got gills on the side of your thing and you can just go jump into water and breathe like the air i just think that was very creative and i liked it but it wasn't enough to get any higher on my list it did crack my top five though and so for me favorite magical plants coming in at number five is gillyweed for myself awesome no that's a that's a great one can't argue with that at all um number four for me was devil's snare this is Devil Snare. You have to relax. So, uh, Hermione Granger, saving the day again over here. Uh, Devil Snare, remember that's that magical plant with the ability to constrict or strangle anything in its vi- environment that it touches. Um, as far as, remember, the plant has those creepers or tendrils to ensnare anyone it touches. And the more you move, the more it constricts you. So, remember in the film... Hermione was like, Ron's not relaxing. And Harry was like, he's not relaxing, isn't he? So, uh, but in the book, which is really cool, remember, she actually casted, I believe it was Bluebell Flames. Was it, it wasn't Bluebell Flames. It was, um, I wrote it down. It was, yeah, she did. She actually casted Bluebell Flames that lit the thing on fire that moved away because it's also afraid of light and then fire harms it. 
Uh, so I just thought it was really creative. I thought it was awesome. It's that iconic moment. If you go ride uh, the Hagrid's motorbike adventure over at Universal, you get dropped into the Devil's Snare, and then it tries to constrict you, and then you get dropped again before the spiders get you. But I thought it was really cool, of course. Uh, and then in also in... Uh, I do want to say in 1991, Professor Sprout actually placed a large devil snare as her second defense in the Philosopher's Stone. So people always wonder how that devil snare got there. It's actually because Professor Sprout uh, put it there, which was really cool. So I just thought the whole idea behind devil snare and its iconic moment, um, it took, that's what made it take my number four spot, devil snare. What about you, Jay Nelly? So I want to argue for Hermione's stupidity here because if you guys remember, uh, being calm was only the film's adaptation of it. Chase talked about how she lit the fire, but you guys remember, Hermione was they're like, what? How do we get past Elvis there? And they're like, fire. And she's like, I don't have any wood. And Ron's like, Hermione, are you a witch or not? Like she thought she had to go find wood and like timber to put a fire together like manually. Right. So I was like, I was like, oh, so clearly Hermione doesn't think well under pressure. But anyways. Regardless, Devil Snare does make an appearance on this list for me as well, just not quite yet. Uh, number four for me is Venomous Tentacula. Chase went over it a little bit, but another reason why I liked it so much is because you guys remember on the black market, Mundungus Fletcher sold Tentacula pods to Fred and George for their skiving mm -hmm. snack boxes, so they got to use that <laughs> the, the effects to uh, help kids get out of class and make money at the same time, so they got to be a menace to society and profit off of it. Nothing better than that. Uh, so yeah, I really like Venomous Tentacula. Everything else Chase has already said about it, so no need for me to go over it again. So number four for me, Venomous Tentacula. Let's go ahead into your number three, man. Awesome, man. Uh, so my number three was Snargleuf Pods. Do you remember Snargleuf Pods? So that was uh, the magical plant. It appeared as kind of a gnarled stump, stump but it... Uh, had those, I described them as like uh, the pale green tubers um, is what it had. And the, remember, it had the green pulsating pods about the size of a grapefruit, which could be extracted. Um, but they had dangerous hidden thorns that covered vines that attacked when provoked. And usually, though, were best handled by more than one person. But they actually uh, studied this in six-year herbology students is when uh, this was studied so uh, I thought it was just really cool it's one of those kind of iconic plants that sticks in my mind because it almost reminds me of someone got burned everywhere like the blisters that would pop which were nasty <laughs> so I ranked them as number three my man what about you brother my number three again we mentioned that was going to come up later but you already talked a lot about it I have just a couple more things to say about it but my number three is devil snare uh, also, if you, like it wasn't mentioned by Chase, but like we've talked about it in Order of the Phoenix, how that little devil, devil snare was sent to Bodrick Bode and ended up strangling him in his sleep. Mm -hmm. So just how dangerous that this uh, this plant can be and how quickly it can constrict you. It almost reminds me of like an anaconda wrapping itself around you and squeezing <laughs> you until you suffocate or you die, or you like you know asphyxiate. So devil snare hits the number three spot for me in favorite magical plants. I'll give it over to you to give us to your number two. Yeah, man. My uh, number two, you already hit on a lot. So that was Gillyweed. Um, you know, got to give it respect where credit is due. It got harried through the second task. You know, Dobby showed up with the Gillyweed, but 
uh, remember all I'll really say about it because you hit the nail on the head there was it looked like slimy gray green rat tails <laughs> so I thought that was pretty cool uh, I'm sure it looked disgusting to Harry I do want to say there is an argument on it in freshwater versus saltwater so it says that in freshwater a sprig of gillyweed lasted for well over an hour but there has been a debate whether about saltwater it works the exact same time so it's unknown about that but of course he used it in the triwizard tournament you hit the nail on the head on that one gillyweed took my number two spot so great stuff brother what about your number one my number two it's now it's my number two so my number, number two, two. <laughs> yeah jump in yeah. the gun no there. worries my number two is the whomping willow what a great tree that is that thing's a badass it's got limbs that fly around knock you to, to wherever it needs you to knock you to you know it made its first appearance in chamber of secrets where they flew the car into it smashed the car all up but you know it's been around for so long ever since lupin came to hogwarts they planted that there so they can get into the Shrieking Shack and he could transform and keep you safe. Uh, you know, and it, it had its most recent appearance in Deathly Hallows where Voldemort was sitting with Nagini and called Snape to him and ended up killing Snape, you know, uh, in the Shrieking Shack while they were kind of in that little um, the uh, passageway underneath it waiting for them to leave. I'm talking about Harry, Ron, and Hermione and when Snape got like bit by the snake and was bleeding out and then he came out through there. So... The Whomping Willow has just been around, man. Prisoner of Azkaban had its big moment. Uh, like they, uh, Crookshanks pressed the button and it paused all the trees. But the fact is, like, this is a tree that can almost think for itself. Anytime anything's near it that shouldn't be, it starts swinging its trunks at a massive like level. And it's heavy. It's destructive. It's badass. And it's been there for so long. It's a staple of Hogwarts. Love the Whomping Willow that hit my number two spot. And with that, I'll let Chase take it away with his number one favorite magical plant. Yeah, man. Uh, no, that's an awesome one. So my favorite magical plant, Chamber of Secrets again, the Mandrake. In the words of Hermione Granger, the Mandragora. It is known that its cries are fatal to anyone who hears it. Remember they had to use those earmuffs in Chamber of Secrets in the film? Um, but it, even its seedling cries are uh, will even cause someone to go unconscious. But Remember, they almost looked like a baby uh, when they were, like, trying to repot the mandrake in Chamber of Secrets, and it would scream, but uh, it looked almost like a human, um, like a, a, a baby when it was young, but as a maturing plant, when it's mature, uh, it keeps growing and looks more like a, an adult version. But in 1992 to 1993 school year, Professor Sprout taught this to its students so i gave it mandragoria the mandrake the screaming plant that we repot gave my number one spot to plants in harry potter the franchise so what about you jay nelly my number one is the mandrake as well i uh, love the mandrake because it's got multiple like things that can happen with it it's it's very useful in a couple different facets uh, like you said, a small like a cry from a small one can knock you out for several hours. A cry from an adult can kill you. Uh, but also, when they cut it up and they 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 put it into the restorative drought, it restores people from being petrified. That's how he brought everybody back from the chamber of secrets. Like these people could have been still petrified to this day without the mandrake, right? So, and on top of that, we got to see him most recently when they started throwing the mandrakes over the balcony at the Death Eaters, 
Well, if they're, yeah. if they're full of grown mandrakes and then things are screaming, them Death Eaters are dying. So it's just uh, it's, <laughs> That's it's, awesome. it's a badass plant, man. So that hit my number one in Favorite Magical Plants, too. And just to kind of go through my list uh, real quick for you, from five to one for Favorite Magical Plants is, for Jay Nelly, it's five, Gillyweed. Four, Venomous Tentacula. Three, Devil's Snare. Two, The Whomping Willow. And one, The Mandrake. And Chase, go ahead and give your five to one, and we'll move on to the next one. Yeah, mine was really similar. Mine was five, Venomous Tentacula. Four, Devil Snare. Three was Snargloff Pods. Two was Gillyweed. And number one was Mandrakes. So, awesome stuff, brother. Perfect. Let's go on to the next one, which is Favorite Magical Creatures. So, this is for the whole series. If you guys stuck with us while we were doing this podcast from October... Every, after every single book, Chase and I would do our favorite magical creatures that we'd find in that specific book, all the way from Sorcerer's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, Prisoner of Azkaban, Goblet of Fire, or the Phoenix, Half-Blood Prince, and Deathly Hallows. Every single one of those books, we would have the top five we found in those books. Now, we're going to give you our all-time favorite magical creatures that we found throughout the series in no particular order except our favorites throughout them. With that being said, Chase, I'll let you go ahead and get us started with your number five. Yeah, so number five, uh, the famous um, one from this category, or creatures of, that took my number five, is Buckbeak. So the hippogriffs are number five in my book. Uh, the reason why is just so, you know, I've ranked them before when we were talking about Azkaban. They're so intellectual and smart. Remember, you would have to bow before you had permission to actually touch them. Um, as far as even how they're used in the book is remember they even use them during the Battle of Hogwarts and they're extremely loyal if you get to know them but their talons are a half a foot long and they're deadly looking Um, the hippogriff's coats would change smoothly from feathers to hair Um, looks similar to a griffin um, but we've seen it uh, as far as even the storyline with Buckbeak how they use Hermione and Harry use the time turner to go back and you can save more than one life tonight and uh, all that happened so I had to give Hippogriffs my number five ranking uh, just for everything we've seen them do all the way from Prisoner of Azkaban all the way to Deathly Hallows in this book series what about you my man Uh, number five for me and favorite magical creatures found throughout the series I would say the Basilisk got my number five spot uh, it was cool. We've seen big snakes before. It was nothing brand new, but what I did like is it kind of brought some things full circle. Almost the similarity how I how I brought like the Drought of the Living Dead and correlated it to Romeo and Juliet. I kind of take the Basilisk and correlate it to Medusa in ancient Greece. Because if you guys remember Medusa, her look could turn you to stone. And what was on her head? A bunch of snakes, right? And I know that the ba- a Basilisk isn't, isn't really considered a snake, but it's a serpent-like creature, right? So... I, the fact that it could do that and that its look could kill you, it was very creative. It was Medusa-esque with a little added flair. So if it looked at you without being directly, if it could be in a reflection or however it looked at you, through the water, through a ghost, through a mirror, like it would petrify you. But if it looked at you dead on eye to eye, it killed you. And that's really new. Yeah. And I thought that was really kind of uh, interesting and very unique. And so for that reason, it did make my list and hit number five. So number five for me is the Basilisk. Yeah, well well played. No, that's a great one. They're on my list, too. Not quite there yet for me, but 
Uh, number four, I put Thestrals. So thought Thestrals were great. They're my favorite book of Harry Potter, uh, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. But remember, uh, only if you've seen someone die can you see them. So I thought that was genius, um, the fact that they're invisible to everyone else. But the fact they're extremely intellectual, it even says... It describes them on Pottermore that they can even understand direction by when you're communicating with them. And um, remember, Luna could see them. She kind of introduces them to Harry a little bit uh, as he sees them to the fir for the first time. But it even describes as after the Battle of Hogwarts, you know, so many people saw Thestrals and it's just a reminder of how many people they lost that day. But... Of course, they're looked at as even bad omens by the ministry, but this is uh, really um, this is really misguided because they're really not bad omens. But and it's also even a form of a portrius, uh, a corporeal patronus, um, and they're described as like I said, dead clever. But I just thought they were great. I thought they were phenomenal. I loved how they flew over to the ministry. The thestral hair is actually the core of the elder wand, which is phenomenal. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, I just thought it was very, uh, creative the way they introduced this magical creature in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix book five. Um, and I know we've had some issues before with like wondering why Harry could see them, which I, you know, it said that because Cedric Diggory died is why, but I thought the whole idea behind Thestrals and, and being magical creatures that were invisible, which actually it even says at Hogwarts, they have a carriage of Thestrals that will take people um, to the front gate and up to the school for elder students. <laughs> if you go there when you're older, if you can't walk or something, or if you're an older professor, which is really cool. Um, so I just thought the whole idea behind them was very creative. What about you, man? What about number four? Number four for me, I will bring in the Dementors. Dementors, and I have it right here. If you guys are watching on YouTube, you can see me pointing. If you're just listening on audio, I've got a Dementor on, on one of the stacks of the movies here. Uh, Dementors hit my number four spot because they are terrifying creatures. Like, they are fear itself, right? Like, they are in hooded cloaks. They don't have a characteristic face. They have a mouth that's like a, almost like a black hole in a way. And it latches onto you and sucks the soul out of you. And that is very unique and something that we haven't seen a lot of in other works. So it, it's just it, it, the fact that what it makes you feel when Dementor's around. Like you get, everything gets icy and cold and you feel like you're never going to be happy again. All those feelings and on top of what it can do to you is why I really think that the, the, I had to put them on my list. But there's other ones I like a little bit more. I will go ahead and say though that Dementor's made the number four spot on my favorite magical creatures list. Yeah, no, they're excellent. No argument with that. Yeah, they actually didn't make my list, but the only reason why is just because there's so many phenomenal magical creatures here. It's such a tough list to do, uh, top five. But for number three for me, you hit the nail on the head, was the Basilisk was number three for me. Uh, I thought the fact that it kills people when it stares at them, just like you said, was really awesome the petrification remember hermione <laughs> always bring up hermione on the show um she was in the hospital uh the hospital wing past the holidays when she was petrified 
Um, I thought the fact of how you brought up on interesting facts, how it's bred with, you know, the toad and the chicken egg and all that stuff was absolutely phenomenal. How it can be controlled with possil tongue or respond to possil tongue and Salazar Slytherin uh, created one. Actually, Herpo the Fowl, it said, is who created Horcruxes, was the first one to ever create a Basculus. Salazar Slytherin was just one of the ones that actually made a Basculus. So, just the whole history on Basculus and the whole idea of that creature was phenomenal. You hit the nail on the head there. And I'll let you take it away for number two, man. Number three for me. Uh, so, my number. Or number three. Yeah. I'm one ahead on you. No yeah. worries. So, number three for me uh, was Fox the Phoenix. I thought Fox was a badass. Like, he came to everyone at their time of need. Uh, number one, a Phoenix song can inspire courage in whoever hears it if they're someone who is genuinely a good person and inspires like fear and despair for those who have evil intentions so it's like the ultimate like trump card almost in a way right and then what it do you know talking about the basilisk that you just mentioned it brought harry the sorting hat which held the sword of godric gryffindor in it and not only did it do that it pecked the eyes out of the basilisk just allow harry to kind of be on even footing at 12 years old fighting off like this huge 20-foot serpent and then on top of that, when Harry did get bit, Phoenix tears heal people's wounds. And I also think it's mad cool how when Phoenixes die, they burn up into ashes and they like resurrect themselves from the ashes that they just burn in. So, and then I, the last thing I'll say about it is, Fox was so loyal to Dumbledore and never wanted to come back to Hogwarts after Dumbledore died. It's just amazing to have something yeah. that pure, and it's very rare. And so for that reason, Fox the Phoenix took number three spot on my favorite magical creatures list. And uh, with that, I'll turn it over to you to give us uh, your your spot next here. Yeah, uh, no, that's that's awesome. And, and I mean, the issue with this is like same thing with Dementors and Phoenixes. They just didn't make my list because there's so many. But I gave number two to House Elves, man. House Elves got that spew going. But, uh, yeah, I gave it to House Elves. I just love the way Dobby and Creature's story arcs were, how Dobby was always there for Harry, the whole idea between, you know, pure bloods and half-bloods and how, uh, you know, Hermione was fighting for House Elves and they shouldn't be working uh, for free and then, you know, they shouldn't be owned anymore. I thought it was great. And the fact that house elves have a magic that wizards and witches don't even have. Like, it doesn't work the same. Haldabi was able to come into Malfoy Manor and get the group out of there. Of course, it sacrificed him, but at the same time, he was able to apparate in and out. Because um, their wa- their magic doesn't work the same as, as wand magic. But um, I just thought the whole idea was great. I love the story arc. I love how Creature um, became more loyal to Harry later on. They were all so loyal. Even Creature was loyal to Regulus Black, remember? Um, so I just thought it was phenomenal. Uh, so I gave House Elves as number two. What about you, brother? Number two for me are the Thestrals. A lot of what you mentioned is something that I'll say about them as well. You can't see them unless you have physically seen somebody die. So the fact that Luna could see him, Harry could see him, only post-book four. I had problems with that. We mentioned it earlier. I won't bring them back up. But the fact that they are very uh, useful, super intelligent, great with directions, they're the whole reason everyone was able to get to the Ministry of Magic in Order of the Phoenix. Yes, some people, you know, like, they could see them, some couldn't, and so it was kind of weird flying on them. But at the end of the day, 
they look scary, right? They're like a mixture of skeletal dragons and horses put together. You know, they're very interesting looking. They don't look like the nicest things, but they're actually great. You know, Chase said a lot of it all for himself, so I'm not going to get too much back into it. I'll just say that they they were enough to hit the number two spot on my favorite magical creatures list. Awesome, man. No, great stuff. Um, for number one for me, uh, it's, you know, there were so many magical creatures, it was really tough to give a number one spot, but I gave it to dragons. You know, we're a dragon show. We got Felix on here. The thing, dragons are great. I love how Harry took on the Hungarian Horntail in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire in year four. You know, you even saw the Chinese, uh, the, what was it? It wasn't the Chinese Firebolt. <laughs> the Firebolt was the... Yeah, no, uh, it was... Bruce, was that no, what it was you're called? Close, though, it's the, it's, you're close. You're close. It's the Chinese Fireball. The Chinese Fireball. Chinese Fireball. Okay, that's right. I knew it was something similar. Yeah, Chinese Fireball. You even saw the Swedish Snort Snout. Um, all the different ones, Ukrainian Iron Belly in Gringotts Bank that they broke out of, uh, you know. So I just thought it was phenomenal. I'm a big dragons guy. You know, we're big dragons guys here. We're a fantasy show. Um, so I gave dragons. I had to give them my number one spot. I couldn't cut them out. There's a lot of fantastic honorable mentions like Dementors and just like you said, uh, Phoenixes. But I had to give dragons my number one spot, man. What about you, brother? Fuck that shit. The dragons in Harry Potter sucked. Anyways, <laughs> my favorite, my favorite, like, my number one favorite magical creature found in the series. Again, like I said, sometimes I just like to go back to the beginnings. My number one was Fluffy. I love the three-headed dog yeah. that guarded the Sorcerer's Stone. It was a badass. Like I think it was vicious. It reminded me of like the thing that guard like in, in Greek mythology that guards the gates of hell, Cerberus. Like you know the three-headed like dog, the nasty, badass motherfucker. I liked him a lot, and the fact that the only way you could get past him was put him to sleep through music, and you could only figure that out because they found it out on accident. If you didn't know that, you'd have been screwed. That thing would have torn you eight ways from Sunday, man. Like. I'll tell you, Fluffy was a badass. Uh, I wish we got to see more of it, or at least another uh, mention of it later on, but it is what it is. We got that little bit from Fluffy, and it stuck with me all the way from the beginning. So for me, my number one favorite magical creature in the whole series was Fluffy the Three-Headed Dog, and I'll go real quick from five to one. Uh, favorite magical creatures according to Jay Nelly. Five, Basilisk. Four, Dementors. Three, Fox the Phoenix. Two, Thestrals. And one, Fluffy. And Chase, go ahead and uh, give us your your list all the way through. Can't argue with Fluffy, man. That's awesome. Uh, five, I got Hippogriffs. Four, I got Thestrals. Three, I got Basculus. Number two is House Elves. Uh, number one, I do have Dragons as number one was my Magical Creatures. Next rankings, we are going to be doing our favorite moments in the series. And this is going to be a fun one, guys, because... Uh, it doesn't have to be too long. I'll have to tell you exactly where it is and then kind of, kind of turn it over to Chase, right? So for me, my fifth favorite moment in the seven book series of Harry Potter was the Quidditch World Cup. I loved the actual game itself and the immediate aftermath of Death Eaters torturing the Mogul family because that was the first real quote-unquote bad thing that happened in the series. Yes, we had the Sorcerer's Stone, but that was like kind of kitty gloves, right? Like that wasn't that wasn't actual evil evil yet. We had the Chamber of Secrets again. It was a monster from centuries ago. 
Prisoner of Azkaban, like Sirius ended up being a good guy. And this is the first time you got to see almost like, you know, I don't want to correlate it to Nazi Germany, but like you really got to see the nastiness of humanity. These people thinking they're better than another type of people and torturing them, throwing them up in the air, turn, like sh- showing underneath like the the muggle woman's like blouse and stuff and just all that was bad and you know it was that whole section in and of itself really stuck out to me because number one the game was badass like we like how the book described the game was super cool love the quidditch world cup and then the immediate aftermath of the first real taste of the real world that you got in the harry potter series that's why it hit number five for me man what about you what was your fifth favorite moment in the series yeah no and and that was really good uh the quidditch world cup i was I wanted to put that in here. There were just so many good moments. But number five actually was the Battle of the Astronomy Tower. So with the Death Eaters and then uh, now that I wanted Dumbledore to die, but the whole way it happened, remember he was like hanging kind of midair and then the Death Eater mark was over everyone. Uh, So I just thought it was really awesome, really cool when they got back from the cave and how they went over there on broomsticks. I thought that was great. So number five, I put uh, the battle battle with the Death Eaters. Remember, you had Finnier, Greyback, and all of them that were there. Um, battle with the Death Eaters in the Astronomy Tower with uh, Dumbledore's death. I thought that was really awesome. I was I didn't want him to die, but I did think that was one of my favorite moments. So number five. What about you, brother? Number four for me was the battle in the sky, leaving the Dursley's house in Deathly Hallows in the Seven Potters chapter. That was one of my favorite ones. That's why I wanted to read it so badly when we went through it and we were tackling the chapters itself. Like they all went, they all did their best they could to have the greatest laid plans, and it all blew up in their face. And we got to see what happened, who kept their composure, who didn't. Monogus Fletcher like apparated off the back of Madame Mude's broom, and he got hit with like the killing curse by Voldemort. And, you know, George's ear got blown off by Snape, who was actually trying to aim for the wand hand of another Death Eater. Like, we got to see, like, Harry's wand do its, like, spinning gold flames at Voldemort. It was just, there was a lot. It was chaos. It was fun. And they got away, but not unscathed. That was another casualty. We lost Mad-Eye Moody. So, I really enjoyed the whole battle in the sky in Deathly Hallows at the very beginning. So, that took my number four spot, man. What about you? What do you got for number four? Yeah, number four for me was back to Half-Blood Prince, man. It was Dumbledore in the cave. So I thought it was awesome. Um, I thought it was really creative, him drinking the drink of despair. But then he conjured Firestorm when, of course, Harry had no idea what he was doing, casting Sectum Sempra and got pulled into the lake. So I thought it was really awesome Awesome in the way it was described as far as... um, you know, he was just standing over everyone and was paler than the other, uh, just as, as the other in Fury, but it uh, conjured the crimson and gold, and he fought them off. Even when, just like you were saying, you know, Dumbledore has some years on him now, and he was already being, you know, by that curse that was on his arm from the ring, uh, already took so much out of him. So it really showed Dumbledore's perseverance after drinking that potion uh, and really standing up and saving Harry. And, and so I gave him that spot at number four. So what about you, brother? Number three for me was Harry's entire duel versus Lord Voldemort in Goblet of Fire. And the reason why is oh, because good. he was stuck on his own, right? Like, Wormtail killed Cedric Diggory. This 14-year-old boy 
had to witness the murder of one of his stu- like his fellow students. On top of that, watch the person who killed his parents come back to life and then fight him and try to do his best to survive. It was crazy. I'm thinking about it now, what it must have been like in that moment for a 14-year-old kid to face this grown-ass adult as many regarded as the most powerful wizard of all time, right? And then from there, have an actual full-on duel. The Expelliarmus hits the Avada Kedavra and boom, they got this connection. And then on top of that, why I like this so much too is because we got to see the Priori Incantatum play out where all the ghost forms of the people Voldemort killed appear and then swarm Voldemort and allow Harry to get away. Like That was such a, an iconic moment for me, especially as someone who loves Goblet of Fire. Like Everything that happened in that, in that instance really stood out to me, and that's why it took the number three spot for me on my favorite moments throughout the series. What do you have for your third favorite moment throughout the series? Yeah, number three is an iconic moment for me, too, was uh, when you learn about Snape and Dumbledore's plan. So you finally learn, you know, Snape was a good guy this entire time and is working for Dumbledore, and it entirely changes your perception of his character. So I just thought it was fantastic. Uh, That's why Snape is still one of my favorite characters to this day. Uh, So it took my number three spot. Uh, What about you, brother? What about number two? Number two, this is a shout-out to my boys, Fred and George. When they left Hogwarts and they caused all that mayhem in front of Umbridge, they put that swamp in the corner, <laughs> they was awesome. blew up all the all the, the uh, things during the owl lessons, and they flew out, they, they did the Accio charm, broke their brooms out of Umbridge's office, and they, they flew out of there as they caused a bunch of, tr- like, like, you know, everything, like, all that mayhem and mischief, and they even got Peeves to salute them. He's like, give her hell from us, Peeves, like, they they started they started a revolution in that book and in that series. Everyone from then on after they left was just giving her a hard time, putting nipplers in her office, doing stuff throughout the corridors. Like the other teachers wouldn't help them because Fred and George, they led the charge of saying, Fuck this shit. We don't care about our education. <laughs> Umbridge sucks. Go Dumbledore. We out of here. And I love that shit, man. That took my number two spot was Fred and George leaving Hogwarts and causing the mayhem at the very end of their stay there at, at Hogwarts. So that was my number two. What do you got for number two? That's awesome. Great mention, too, because that would have been an honorable mention for me. It's, remember, they left the whole lake there. That mm-hmm. was phenomenal. Fred and George are great. Number two, you hit it on the head, man. I put the whole Goblet of Fire battle. I thought it was excellent. Uh, you killed it during our episode. Um, you hit the nail on the head there. I thought it was amazing how Priori and Cantatum and you know James and Lily came up as ghosts. <laughs> so even as far as uh, what was it, Frank? Right, Frank yeah. died. Frank. Was his name Frank? Frank? Frank. Yep. And all of them, I thought it was genius. So that took my number two. What about your number one, brother? Number one for me was the battle in the Department of Mysteries. Not to be confused with Dumbledore's battle versus Voldemort, but specifically the teenagers fighting the Death Eaters in the Department of Mysteries when they found the prophecy, trying to get away. These teenagers fighting grown-ass adults and doing well till they got cornered into like they thought like what do you call it like the the chamber of death where the veil was there and they were cornered. Then all yeah. of a sudden the Order of the Phoenix dropped in and then it was an all-out battle there. That whole sequence from when they when when Lucius Malfoy said give the prophecy to me through when the Order of Phoenix arrived in the Chamber of Death and Sirius got knocked through the veil. That whole section in there was my favorite moment throughout the series. I will read that 
over and over again, these kids that have no business standing toe-to-toe with these adults are not only holding their own, they're whooping their fucking ass. And then they ended up getting yeah. cornered, outnumbered, because there was only what? It was Harry, Ron, Hermione, Neville, and Luna. There's five of them against a dozen Death Eaters. They finally got outnumbered and cornered. And then all of a sudden, the Order of the Phoenix busts in, and they start like whooping some ass, too. And then they actually kind of got their ass whooped. And then Dumbledore did this thing and wrapped them all up. And then we you know, we have the other part of this, which I'm, might be probably your number one that you like. I'm just going to guess. But uh, <laughs> anyways, like that, that, was, that was my number. And that was my number one was the battle in the Department of Mysteries between when they grabbed the prophecy and through like Sirius's death was like my favorite section and my favorite moment throughout the entire series. What do you got for number one? Yeah, you guessed it. It's the only one he ever feared. So the duel at the Ministry, man. You had uh, Dumbledore against Voldemort. The two, one big bad and the one the best that's ever been going at each other in an all-out brawl uh, while Albus was trying to make sure Harry didn't turn into an idiot. Um, but yeah, in the Department of Ministries, in the Department of Mysteries, Department of Ministries, technically, right? Department of Mysteries, remember, uh, you know, Albus conjured, made, uh, I think it was uh, Pure Totem Locomodor, when he made the statue of the fountain, like, actually jump in the way of Voldemort's spell. Voldemort conjured Fiendfire into the serpent, but uh, Dumbledore used it as, like, a lasso at first. Uh, it was just absolutely phenomenal, everything that happened. Remember when Dumbledore showed up? Now, he took that Death Eater and, like, it was like a hook. Like, he moved that Death Eater out of the way where they basically didn't stand a chance at all. It was awesome. You really finally, for the first time, got to see Dumbledore's power, and that's what I loved about it. So that took my number one spot was the duel at the Ministry. Uh, you want to go through your number one, uh, number one through five? Yes, sir. I'll start five done? through one, but I'll do... Uh, for me, the favorite moments in this series, according to Jay Nelly, are number five, the Quidditch World Cup, the actual game itself, and the immediate aftermath of the Death Eaters torturing the Muggle family. Uh, number four, the battle in the sky when they left the Dursleys in the Deathly Hallows going to the safe houses. Number three, Harry's entire duel versus Lord Voldemort and Goblet of Fire. We got to see that priori in Cantatum and all that. Number two, Fred and George leaving Hogwarts and causing mayhem and like catastrophes for Umbridge. And then number one was the battle in the Department of Mysteries between the teenagers and the Death Eaters up and through the Order of the Phoenix arriving before Chase is number one. So uh, that's my 5 through 1. Go ahead through your 5 through 1, and we'll keep this train moving, baby. Yeah. Uh, so my number five was the battle of Death Eaters at the Astronomy Tower and Dumbledore's death. Uh, number four was uh, Dumbledore and Harry in the cave when Dumbledore conjures Firestorm and saves Harry. Number three was when we learn about Snape's whole uh, plan the entire time with Dumbledore, where you find out he's on the good side in Deathly Hallows. Number two, that was Goblet of Fire, the whole fight with Voldemort and Harry. And then number one, of course, for me, was the duel at the Ministry, the only one he ever feared, between strictly Dumbledore and Voldemort in the Ministry. And that was my one through five. So, yeah, and I'll let you take us off for our next round, man. You got it. We're on our eighth ranking here. It is our favorite actors in the film series. This one's a little bit different. This is specifically talking about the films. So favorite actors in the film series. I'll go ahead and start us off. My number five favorite actor in the film series 
is Richard Harris as the original Albus Dumbledore. The one that was there from Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets. He left a huge impression on me because he portrayed what I think a proper Dumbledore was supposed to be. Calm, cool, and collected at all times. Not hot-headed, never screamed, never yelled like this new Dumbledore they put in in Prisoner of Azkaban. It is unfortunate that he passed away. I know it's not anyone's fault. At the same rate, he did an amazing job as Dumbledore through Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets throughout the films. That's my number five. What about you, man? What do you got for number five? Yeah, number five, I put David Thewlis, which is Remus Lupin. Uh, I thought he did a great job. One part that really stood out to me was in uh, Deathly Hallows. Remember when he grabbed Harry and he had to be sure to make sure it was Harry? So he was asking him what was in his office, and it was a grindy low. Um, I just thought his acting was phenomenal. I thought he did really well in Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, so I gave him my number five spot. Uh, David Thewlis as Remus Lupin took number five. Perfect. Uh, number four for me, Emma Watson as Hermione Granger. I thought she did phenomenal. She did a great job. Even as early as Sorcerer's Stone as the bushy-haired girl. Yeah, When she was younger, she like, like, like people think that they used her as a symbol of attractiveness later on. And maybe that's the case later on. But you guys remember, she actually did really look the part for what Hermione Granger was supposed to look like in the books from as early as Sorcerer's Stone. Short, bushy-haired, big teeth, didn't have a lot of friends, was very like obnoxious and thought she knew it all. She played that perfectly. Really great move. I, I thought she did well. And then as the series went on, I felt, and not so much to her, you know, it wasn't on her, more to the director's discredit. They tried to push her and give her scenes and moments that were not hers in the book. And because of that, I couldn't put her higher, and not necessarily her fault. But I do think she did well as an actress per, uh, portraying Hermione Granger. So for those reasons, number four for me, Emma Watson as Hermione Granger. What do you got for number four, my man? Yeah, number four, I put Maggie Smith. So she played Minerva McGonagall. I thought she did excellent, even to the point of in Sorcerer's Stone, like you were saying in the beginning in her classes. Uh, she played McGonagall down to a T. Um, even when Harry and Ron were showing up late for the classes. Um, and then I loved her little extra ad lib she had in there, just like Deathly Hallows. Like, I always wanted to do that. Um, and even Pierre Totem, Locomotor. Uh, and, you know, she, <laughs> you know, she played the cat animagus, like, perfect, where, like, they show up in the class and she, like, shows up after being a cat. I just thought she was great. Uh, so I gave her a number four on my list. So that goes to Maggie Smith, Minerva McGonagall. What about you, brother? That was my number three, man. So going to number three, uh, my favorite actress in the film series, Maggie Smith as Professor McGonagall. A lot of the reasons Chase just mentioned. I just think she portrayed... Like, when I read the book and I was reading about Professor McGonagall's part, that woman, Maggie Smith, is exactly who I pictured in my head, and they put her on screen. Like It was a fantastic casting call. She did all the mannerisms. She was strict, but had the moments of kindness, and you could tell she really cared. She was a great actress. She portrayed the role very, very well. So she actually hit my number three spot. So number three for me, Maggie Smith as Professor McGonagall. What do you got for number three, my man? Yeah, man, it's funny. We keep swapping. I <laughs> put yeah, Emma right. Watson, number three, my girl, Hermione Granger. You hit all the uh, all the bullet points on that. I just thought she was phenomenal. 
even going back to the beginning, just like you said, it's Leviosa, not Leviosar. Or, um, <laughs> you know, you're going to put someone's eye out. You know, she even in the, in the beginning, she was phenomenal. And even to the end, uh, Emma, Watson play, Emma Watson played her perfect as far as even showing her maturity and how she grew over the years and how we've been able to grow with these characters. So I thought it was great. So I gave Emma Watson... Hermione Granger, number three. What about number two for you, brother? Number two. Uh, rest in peace, my man, Alan Rickman as Severus Snape. He hit my number two spot. Look, did he look necessarily like what Snape was portrayed as, especially as the illustrations on the, on the chapter covers? No, not necessarily. But he played the role very well. He was... Yeah. He... I... When he was... I was watching him on screen. I was very convinced that he did not like Harry. His his inflections, his voice mannerisms, a phenomenal actor. Even though he did not necessarily look the part, he played the part so well, which is very, very hard, especially if people already recognize that you don't physically look like the person you're impersonating or portraying, I should say. He did a, an amazing job of, you know, kind of slowing down his cadence kind of drawing his voice out the contempt he would have when speaking to harry like like you could just tell he played severus snape to a t i loved his portrayal of the potions master he did a great job alan rickman hit my number two spot as severus snape what do you got for number two my man yeah, uh, number two for me was Helena Bonham Carter. <laughs> so as Bellatrix Lestrange, I thought she was perfect. Same thing almost like you were talking about with Alan Rickman. She didn't look exactly like Bellatrix Lestrange. Like she kind of, in the book, she reminded me a little bit more of like the Adams family. Um, but as far as the role, she played it down to the T. Remember, she was even like with Neville, house mom and dad. <laughs> like, or let's have a conversation. Go to go. <laughs> like, I just thought it was fantastic. She was excellent. Or even to the point she was like, she played it down to Z. I killed Sirius Black. <laughs> it was great. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter. And I think part of that, too, you think Helena Bonham Carter. Like, you even go to Fight Club. Like, she plays the same kind of girl. I think she really was Bellatrix the Strange in some ways, in the good ways. But um, Helena Bonham Carter as Bellatrix the Strange took my number two spot. What about you, Jay Nelly? My number one spot is Helena Bonham Carter as Bellatrix the Strange. So, <laughs> she, uh, yeah, I see not much more to say than that. She played the role very well, like you said. Maybe not the most, uh, like, didn't, didn't match it to a physical cast description. But everything about her, if I closed my eyes and listened to her and didn't look at her, I would have for sure thought that was Bellatrix Lestrange. She played the role to a T. It was fantastic. There was no part of her that I, would, I did not believe full and wholeheartedly. I was like, damn, this girl really is Bellatrix Lestrange. No shit. So, yeah, she did such a good job with her acting and performing at this role that she hit my number one spot on my favorite actors in the film series list. What do you have for number one? Yeah, uh, you hit it nail on the head. I wanted to put Alan Rickman, Alan Rickman, Alan Rickman, Alan Rickman, Alan Rickman. <laughs> but I put Alan Rickman for number one. All the reasons you said he's Severus Snape. Um, just like you said, he didn't look exactly like him in the books, but the portrayal was spot on. 
Uh, so I gave Alan Rickman my number one spot for top five actors, brother. I'll go through it real quickly. The top five favorite actors in the film series, according to Jay Nelly, is number five, Richard Harris as the original Dumbledore. Number four, Emma Watson as Hermione Granger. Number three, Maggie Smith as Professor McGonagall. Number two, Alan Rickman as Severus Snape. And number one, Helena Bonham Carter as Bellatrix Lestrange. What do you got five through one, my man? Yeah, I got David Thewlis for Remus Lupin as number five. Number four, I have Maggie Smith as Minerva McGonagall. Number three, I have Emma Watson as Hermione Granger. Number two, Helena Bonham Carter as Bellatrix Lestrange. And number one, Alan Rickman as Severus Snape. Awesome. It seemed like we interchanged a lot on that one. That was pretty cool. So Yeah. We're getting to the good stuff now, folks. We are almost there. We are going to be doing the ranked order of the films from uh, <laughs> oh, that's a tough from one. <laughs> 8 to 1 is how we're going to break this bad boy down. I just started last time. I'll let Chase go from his number 8 spot on our ranked order of the films from our least favorite to our most favorite. So, Chase, at number 8, what do you have for your uh, your films there, my man? Yeah, so for number eight, I have Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two. <laughs> I ranked it last because the basically the second half felt like a different movie to me. I thought it had visually some cool parts. I thought Aberforth, you know, killing the Dementors, but if you didn't have like a corporeal Patronus, I have kind of a problem with that. Um, but it was basically a different movie for the second half. So I had to rank it at number eight, man. What about you, brother? For me, and this is simply off the acting, and I know it's hard to judge children actors, but it is what it is. I'm gonna be who, like, I'm gonna be honest to myself the whole way through, right? My least favorite out of the films was Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. I did not really believe the acting in the very beginning movies. Uh, it was hard to swallow. A lot of things were left out, uh, fully omitted at some points in time. And other than really Dumbledore's portrayal being spot on, they left out some of the trials to get to Quirrell. Uh, it was just, uh, they left out some really important details on that. Uh, there was some things I just, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't for me, man. So my number eight, it was Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. I'll let you go yeah, ahead and take hey. the number seven spot. <laughs> but uh, number seven is really sad because I love this book. It's Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. <laughs> Once again, it just felt like a different movie. Like, I thought the ministry part was really cool with kind of the battles and stuff. I thought Helena Bonham Carter was great with her portrayal of Bellatrix the Strange. But it was just like a different film. Uh, so for that reason, like you didn't get to see the chambers or the brain room. Um, for that reason, I had to rank it as seven Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. What about you, man? My number seven, again, man, the, the originals I really liked in terms of the books. Problem being, they didn't portray it so well in the film. So uh, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets hit the uh, number seven spot for me didn't do much better than Sorcerer's Stone. I did think that, that it was a visual upgrade when we got to see the Basilisk at the end and that battle in there when the the water came down. And, you know, it was a little bit of an upgrade from Sorcerer's Stone, but honestly, not much. Not much at all. And like I said, I just, 
the acting act, the acting just wasn't believable it was super cheesy and maybe it's a kid's movie and I'm judging it as an adult and maybe that has something to do with it but like at the end of the day I'm watching this film as who I am today and, and giving it a grade and that's what it is it is what it is right so my number 7 spot goes to Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets and I'll let you take it away with your number 6 yeah, my number six was Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. I think you hit all the nails on the head there. Um, so I gave it number six. What about you, my man? My number yeah. six is Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And I think I may have been judging this because it was my favorite book, and so I was very critical of what was going on here. But damn, they missed a lot. They didn't include the Quidditch World Cup at all in the film. It just wasn't there. <laughs> like they, they, they started the match, and then all of a sudden the match was over. Even the immediate aftermath was different. There was no real torturing of the Muggles there. Uh, I, throughout, the, the tasks were very underplayed. I, thought, I guess the first task was kind of cool. They had Neville giving... Harry the Gillyweed instead of Dobby were just throwing different people doing different things here out of nowhere um, I just uh, I didn't necessarily appreciate what they did to my favorite novel and the fact that like not for nothing Alistair Moody is one of my favorite characters he made my ranking in the top five right and they who they had playing him was not believable at all it looked ridiculous to me I was upset with it so my number coming in at number six for me was Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire uh, my ranked order of the film. So I'll go ahead and let you give us your number five, I think, yeah? Yeah, man. Number five, I had the exact same. It was Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. So uh, same thing. It was just... It wasn't a different film. I just think they left off a lot of important details there. What about you, my man? My number five is Order of the Phoenix. Uh, order of the Phoenix was number five for me. I had to put it as number five. Just because there was a lot of problems with it. Like, honestly, I probably could have ranked it worse than I did. But at the end of the day, there was still some cool moments throughout it. Uh, I don't know, bro. Like, they, they just missed so many things. And they, they put things out of place in the beginning. Like, they, there was a whole drawn-out moment from Harry feeling kind of secluded from the wizarding world. Right? And because he was so secluded from the wizarding world, it didn't feel that way in the, in the, in the film. They they were already there, right? And, and it just, I don't know, brother. It was, seemed very, very forced to me at the very end. Like, the battle of the Department of Mysteries was super underplayed. Uh, I did, I will give it this one credit that I liked, and that's why I ranked at least this high, is I really enjoyed during that little battle that I think that could have been done better because like you were mentioning they went through certain passages but certain things were missing like the brain room was missing other things were missing from it as well the one thing I did like that the film did is when Sirius and Harry were dueling side by side and attacking the Death Eaters and he's like nice one James like I thought that was cool that was like the lone high point of the movie but since that was my favorite scene as you guys talked like as I mentioned from my last rankings I guess because of that, I at least ranked it, I will say, quote-unquote, halfway, a little bit above halfway. So my number five spot goes to Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, although I could have ranked it worse. I put it there for, you know, for small things that I enjoyed, but it was it did kind of seem like a different movie at times. So number five for me is Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix. Uh, we'll go to number four for you, brother. What do you got for number four? 
Yeah, I got Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. <laughs> so the original. Uh, I mean, it was pretty. It wasn't. I mean, they left a lot out, but it was pretty similar to the first. I think this was probably the more accurate one towards the books. I did love the scene with the chessboard. I thought that was phenomenal. Um, I even appreciated the visual moments with like the chocolate frogs and stuff. But same thing. I really like Emma Watson's acting. And, um, you know, they were just kids then. So, I mean, it's kind of hard for me to judge this one too rough. And, it, you know, it's kind of the start of an iconic series. I mean, give credit where credit is due. They were, like, the first ones for us to really grow up with these characters. So I gave uh, number four, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, for my number four, brother. For my number four, I put Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. And the reason why I put it up this high, it had a lot to do with the visuals. I thought it was cool watching the Quidditch, like, pitch burn from Hogwarts. I thought it was awesome to see like Voldemort hit like the shields that were put around Hogwarts with the Elder Wand, the Elder Wand cracking a little bit and the thing kind of dissipating. Uh, you know, there was a lot of cool visual things that happened there. But at the end of the day, it was a di- like, it really was like a different movie towards the end. Like nothing was the same. We didn't get to see Fred die. Percy never showed up. Like it was, it, there was so many things that were left out. Snape died a different way in the movie than he did in the books. Uh, you know, the the whole. Um, Aberforth thing when they found out what happened in their real lives that just was left out in the films like about Ariana Dumbledore we didn't hear shit about that from Aberforth we didn't really hear about that in King's Cross when uh, he he quote unquote died and went to that weird purgatory even Dumbledore like the Albus Dumbledore left that whole part out in the film so nothing was like they left so much stuff out so much detail out that it got this low but at the end some of the visuals at least made it cool to watch and I was like oh that's really nice to see on screen cool but that's why it's not getting any higher than this because it was a completely different ending. Like Voldemort apparently decided to, to just transfigure into dust like Thanos snapped his fingers, where in the <laughs> book it was clear that they moved his body outside the Great Hall. Bellatrix exploded into tiny little pieces in the film, where that is not what happened in the book either. Like There's just so many differences, but there were some really cool things to see visually, and so that's why I at least ranked it halfway, put it at number four. So, um, yeah, for me, number four was Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows Part 2. What did you have for uh, number three, my man? Yeah, number three, I have Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. It was a very interesting film. Like, it uh, it got some parts that were dead right. Like, some parts were dead on. I love the Sectum Simpra scene with, you know, Snape where he's, you know, healing Malfoy with Volnira Sanator. Uh, after, you know, Harry shot the spell Sectum Sempra and then it exploded like the steam in the bathroom and it was leaking and all that stuff. But then you have like Draco that's saying I cast myself off the astronomy tower if I ever went back here. So it's like it it went two opposite ends of the spectrum. Also it didn't open with uh, Snape over at Spinner's End. So I mean there was a lot of things I had a problem with <laughs> I don't think any of these should even have a top anything. <laughs> but I gave it uh I gave it my number three spot because I'm generous. So I put Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince at number three. For me, my number three was Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. 
Um, I didn't like how the werewolf looked. I thought we could have done a lot better with the werewolf. Like we've seen Van Helsing, like, and that was well before that. We yeah. could have done a lot better with how the werewolf looked. On top of that, like Remus Lupin in the novels is nowhere near who I thought he was. Like I thought, like that actor. I know he was in your top actors, bro. I didn't see it, man. To me, he did not play a good Lupin at all. <laughs> I, I didn't like. I didn't like what I saw from him. Um, Serious Black too, as well. Like I, you know, I would have, I would have been able to see like, you know, who the guy who played, uh, I think his name is Michael Huisman in real life, but the guy who played uh, Darren O'Harris, the second one, like the the one that kind of finished the series. Yeah, I think he yeah, would have been a cool Serious Black. He seemed more because like the Serious Black we yeah. saw seemed really old and like I don't know, man, it just didn't didn't feel right for me. Like I would like to see yeah. that that Darren O'Harris play Serious Black, the second one. And I just didn't, yeah, right. Like, yeah. and I just didn't. I don't know. Some things weren't believable. The Dementor thing was cool when they touched the the uh, Hogwarts Express and like the ice hit the window. That was nice, and that's why it got at least this high for me. But <clears throat> at the end of the day, I still thought the movie itself was kind of anticlimactic. We got to see Sirius like tackle <laughs> the weird looking werewolf, like, and it was a whole thing. But like that didn't really happen in the novel like that. I don't know, man. It was just. It was. It wasn't enough to get me higher than number three, <laughs> but it was enough to get to number three, which I think is okay, especially as far as the film goes. Honestly, I'd rank them all last if I could, but I can't. So uh, we're going ahead and putting uh, Prisoner of Azkaban at number three for me. What do you got for number two? Yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head. That is Prisoner of Azkaban. That's <laughs> number two. I did appreciate. I didn't mind the werewolf. Like I thought it was very weird. <laughs> it was skinny and it, it was like a uh, I've never seen a werewolf that's bald before <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there really that was very strange but uh I mean I did like the way like the pupils and Remus's eyes opened up uh, I thought Emma Watson was phenomenal again you know the way she uh in the book she uh punched Draco Malfoy in the film she smacked him but I thought she did great I put it at number two. <laughs> I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it. Like, I, you had the nail on the head. Like, I mean, did I enjoy this film? <laughs> that is the question that needs to be asked. I, I don't know. I didn't mind it. It was okay. It was okay, but I put it at number two. <laughs> I put it at number two. There wasn't much competition, you know what I mean? What about you, my man? Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. I got the number two spot for me. Uh, look, I mean, the parts that it did get right, it got very right. But then it did dumb shit like to add that thing at Christmas where Belichick sets the burrow on fire yelling, I killed Sarah Aswang. But, like, but dude, like, that never happened. <laughs> like, they, they even went out of the way in the novels to say that the borough had every single measure of security available at the ministry had to offer and no one ever touched the borough during christmas time so the fact they just like came out of their ass with this was fucking weird but i will say that the parts that they did do right they did very right the slughorn when they went to go see him in the beginning and recruit him to hogwarts thought they did that pretty damn well like there was some things that were very good and there were some things that didn't make sense at all but because of the things that they did do super well and spot on it was enough to hit my number two spot on my ranked order of the film. So number two for me, uh, Harry Potter and Half-Blood Prince. What do you got for your number one? Number one, I think we're both on the same thing. Uh, it's Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part one. It stayed number one for me. I mean, I thought it was great. I uh, Well, 
<laughs> that is, I wouldn't exactly say great, but it was good. It was good. It was okay. I think if you are, if you've never read the books at all, you would really enjoy it. Uh, I did love how they added lines for Dobby. Emma Watson, once again, is phenomenal. Uh, I loved, I thought it was great, you know, them kind of, um, this, you know, I guess like camping out, <laughs> I would say. I thought the interaction with Ron and Hermione. I thought the jig was interesting. I didn't mind it. Remember when Harry does the jig? <laughs> I don't really know what that dance move was, but I thought the jig was cool. Um, so I gave him my number one, man, mostly for the jig. <laughs> like, I think the jig is what got it up there. I don't know, dude. I don't fucking know. It was great, I guess. I love the part with Dobby and the knife and Belichick is strange and stuff. So, for Dobby and, you know, Emma Watson in the acting she portrays, I gave it number one. It's, it's a tough list for me to even compete on this shit because, like, the, all of them were not that great. Like, that's the hard part here. The problem with Deadly Hollows Part 1 is it's just the best out of a load of shit. Like, I'm sorry. I have no remorse. They were fucking garbage. <laughs> but, fine. Speak the truth. Malice in the chalice, man. Malice in the fucking chalice. I'm throwing it. Ah, uh, what it... It was Godsmack that came out of the song. Speak the truth uh, and make your peace some other way. <laughs> yeah, here's my fucking problem, dude. Like, my problem is, like, you had a script built for this shit, and you couldn't even follow this fucking shit down to a T. Why is that the case? You're in contact with J.K. Rowling all the time. Game of Thrones had a problem in season 8. I get it, because you haven't had those books written yet. You have the material right fucking in front of you, and you're leaving out major fucking portions. Like, that's my problem. Even when Hermione goes to Godric, Godric's Hollow with Harry, they didn't use the Polyjuice Potion at all. They're just like there, out in the open, whatever. <laughs> I'm gonna let it go. My number one potion not even being used. Alright, whatever. My point is, I put Deathly Hollows as number one, part one. Because as a, if you read the books, you'll rank that as number one because it's the closest thing we kind of see to the books, in my personal opinion. And this isn't anything against the actors. I think the actors were great. I think the actors played their part really well. But, you know, it still, like, has some problems that can't be forgiven, you know? Um, I mean, I guess I can forgive the fact that you know, I guess Bethilda Bagshot's corpse, like, corrodes instead of, like, the snake comes out of her neck, like, mighty details. But it was the best of, like, a load of garbage. Like, I'm sorry, but I cannot forgive that. In the words of Tyrion Lannister, but this, this cannot be forgiven. <laughs> this cannot be forgiven. Back to you, Jay Nelly. It took my number one. This malice in the chalice goes off the hell where it belongs. And this is nothing against the actors. I love the actors. I got to give credit where credit is due. They were the first to really make a part one, part two to this film series, right? 
and we grew up with these characters. We really did. It was a significant part for my life and my generation. Same thing with Jay Nelly. Like, we grew up with these characters. We grew up with the film. We thought they were phenomenal. Then we spent an entire year going through the books, and I realized like, the details they left out. And I think the visuals were great. If you're a visual person, you will absolutely love it. But in the end, we shouldn't even... We shouldn't even be comparing these because they should be getting the back of the race. It is so bad. It is so bad. But I will go ahead and give Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part 1 as my number one spot. What about you, Jane Nelly? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad that's, that that whole thing is over. Uh, no, but uh, I, did, I also uh, had Deathly Hallows Part 1 as my number one film throughout the thing and a lot of it is because like like very similarly to half-blood prince the things that they did right they did very right but then they did dumb things like leave the fact that voldemort almost caught them in godric's hollow completely out that didn't happen in the films you know like fred's death didn't happen in the films percy coming back didn't happen in the films like they like it's just the simple things like yeah i know that was more part two than anything but i'm just simply saying that there was a lot of things that were missed out on like lupin appearing and like having that big blowout argument in grimald place with harry with his kid like saying you know they had that big argument that didn't take place in the films but then they go ahead and do like tottenham court road very well they do a lot of things super well but then they do dumb things like harry wasn't even disguised at the wedding for bill and fleur which is a huge thing they went ahead and went to a muggle boy took his hair and he was supposed to like be this red-headed like freckled guy and Apparently we did not. That's not important enough. But the good news is, is that they did enough correctly, at least in this specific film, to get in my. I won't say good graces, but at least get the number one spot of all the films that were created. Like Chase said, like none of these films are great if you really kind of go through the detail of it. But this was the best of the bunch, right? So for me, Deathly Hallows Part One took the number one spot. I'll go through my list real fast for you, starting at number eight. Uh, ranked order of the films according to Jane Nelly number 8 Sorcerer's Stone number 7 Chamber of Secrets number 6 Goblet of Fire number 5 Order of the Phoenix number 4 Deathly Hallows Part 2 number 3 Prisoner of Azkaban number 2 Half-Blood Prince number 1 Deathly Hallows Part 1 Chase go ahead and give us your ranked order real fast yeah I have number 8 Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 number 7 Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix number 6 Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, number five, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, number four, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer, Sorcerer Stone, number three, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, number two, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, and number one, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part One is what I have for there. So on to the good stuff. <laughs> the best the part stuff. of our day. Yes, and this is exactly why we saved this for last because we don't want to end on a kind of note like that. So, our last ranking for the day is going to be our ranked order of the novels. And I will go ahead and start us out with this one. We'll go with, and obviously there's seven books, so there's seven spots, right? So my number seven spot goes to Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. The reason I couldn't put this up any higher is because we've seen things like this before in other published works, right? 
there's a big monster at the end you've got to overcome and save your friends. That's kind of the deal with Harry. That's kind of the deal with what happened here in the Chamber of Secrets. There was a lot of convoluted stuff. One of the main characters got petrified. Fantastic. There was a restorative drought ready to go. Like Harry broke his arm on Quidditch and it had to regrow. Like there's this. It was a very simple, a very simplistic. You know, minor challenges, big climax conflict, the resolution. Like there was nothing that really was surprising about Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, other than the fact that it was the very first time that we were introduced to a Horcrux, which is very very cool. But there's reasons why other books get ranked higher, and I'll mention them when I get there. But with that being said, number seven for me, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. What was your uh, number seven ranked order of the novels? Yeah, and this was really hard. Um, these books are fantastic. Uh, it was very hard for me to almost rank these. I mean, some of them are close by just like, you know, a shade higher than the other. Um, I put Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone for the last one, and the reason why, and I think it's great for what it is, I, I really enjoyed the chessboard and them going through the different areas to get to the Sorcerer's Stone, and I like the whole idea with Quirrell. Um, I mean, the only reason I really ranked it lower than others is because it was really made for a children's book. Like, for instance, it, it really was made for a children's book. Like, the Deluminator was originally called a put-outer <laughs> in this book. And um, going back as an adult, you know, as a kid, I think I probably would have ranked it higher. But as an adult, I ranked it specifically the lowest just for that reason. But overall, it was a it was a great book. I mean, if you have kids or if you know kids or if you are a kid, you know, I'm a big kid. <laughs> Jade and Ellie and I are big kids here. That's why we have a fantasy show. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, you will enjoy this book. Like, it, it was great. I love the way it introduced the characters. Um, it just made the lowest of my list for that specific reason. It's really specifically written for children is why I put it at number seven. Uh, what about your number six? Yeah, Jay my number six goes to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. I liked it a little bit better than Chamber of Secrets because everybody was involved at the end of Sorcerer's Stone, right? But they had to get through the Devil's Snare together, all together. They had to collectively think of a way to get through it. Then Ron had his moment with Wizard's Chest. Then Hermione had her moment with like the spells and coming back. Well, I should say Harry had his moment because he had to go fly around the thing and get his key, get the key to unlock the next door to the spells, right? And then from there, she like like Hermione got to help out and show her ability and her intellectuality as an eleven-year-old to kind of solve the riddle. And then from there, Harry was on his own versus Quirrell, and like he got to see like the mirror of Era said like how. Even in the beginning, that was a full circle from where they found it in the beginning to where it ended up. And because he had no intent to use it for himself, he found himself holding it. Defeated Voldemort for the first time since, you know, he's been a kid and got cursed by Voldemort that happened to rebound upon Voldemort. Harry did nothing himself, but like, you know, there was just a lot of cool things that happened in Sorcerer's Stone that just kind of put it a little bit over Chamber of Secrets, in my opinion. So for that reason, uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone hit the number six spot in my ranked order of the novels, especially when we had some really cool magical creatures as well with Fluffy and Norbert and all that. So, uh, yeah, that, that hit my number six, man. What do you got for number six? Yeah, I, number six, uh, you hit the nail on the head. I have Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. I wanted to rank this higher, uh, actually, beginning in my rankings, beginning this year. 
I ranked it higher than Azkaban because I just love the way it started out with so much action. But um, no, going back, I think I really appreciate Azkaban more as an adult and really understanding, you know, what Sirius Black went through and how all that uh, played out and how he's looked at as a fugitive and all that went into, of course, later on with the time turner, but how he's really like a godfather. A really like a father figure to Harry so I had to rank that higher than Chamber of Secrets but Chamber of Secrets um, still was action-packed like I did love the fact I thought the basculus was really cool um, how they kind of just like you said the Medusa kind of aspect of it the reason I ranked it lower than the other ones was strictly because just like you said I mean it's We've seen this kind of happen before, like kind of an epic journey tale. Like you find the chamber, you kill the big monster at the end. But I ranked it higher than Sorcerer's Stone for the reason uh, you mentioned, Jane Ellie, was it is the first time we see a Horcrux. So I thought that was very um, creative, introducing the diary into it. So because of the diary and the petrification was interesting with you know, Hermione was petrified, so all these people were petrified and stuff. Um, and I, my favorite part of the book is the uh, death day birthday party that was um, from Nearly Headless Nick. I thought it was really cool. So for that reason, I ranked it because the death day birthday party and all those reasons I ranked it above Sorcerer's Stone at number six. Number five for me is Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And, you know, there's a lot of great things that happened in this film. We got like, our first big twist, right? We were led to believe throughout the first half of Prisoner of Azkaban that Sirius Black was a bad guy, that he was out to go come and kill Harry. And he broke into the Gryffindor Tower to harm him. But we found out that actually wasn't the case. He was after Scabbers. And we get to find out after all this time, Scabbers, the little rat, was actually an animagus called Peter Pettigrew who framed Sirius for the murder. On top of that, like, was, like in you know who's like pocket because he's a weasel he wants to look out for himself and his own survival at all costs and it was the the reason why it's up this high but it can't be any higher because the rest of the books were so phenomenal we got this big twist like we never really had a twist in the harry potter series before and i really enjoyed it and we get introduced to werewolves which have been introduced to other published works before in other fantasy franchises which is fine but like it was still cool to kind of go through all that we had the death omens like the grim we had been introduced to divination with Professor Trelawney and telling the future and she comes up big later on with this prophecy thing so President of Azkaban was obviously better in my opinion than both uh, Chamber of Secrets and Sorcerer's Stone but what was amazing about J.K. Rowling is she kept making better and better novels as they went on you know so for that reason I can't get any higher but for my number five spot Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban that's where that's where it lands what about for you at number five I'm right there with you. <laughs> Number five, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, man. Uh, you hit this one nailed on the head. Exactly the same reasons. Um, you know, I almost ranked it lower than Chamber of Secrets at the beginning of the year, but, you know, it really grew on me. And the Dementors were badass. Like, let's be real. The Dementors are awesome. They're, they're epic. Um, and just like you said, like, really... Uh, reaching in deep on Sirius's side and uh, kind of what he goes through and then you have that whole time turner uh, twist of events and that was the first time we really saw a twist and I think this is kind of like 
you start seeing kind of that turning point of adulting. Like, it, it's kind of like the teenage book, I want to say. Like, it kind of starts going into, the, like, the adult vibe, but it's not quite there yet, but it's not exactly a kid's book. Um, but, yeah, it, it was fantastic. So I ranked Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban number five, brother. What about number four? Number four for me is Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. And this was hard. Like, when we get to this part, like, it gets kind of hard when we get to the bigger books. But at the end of the day, I only ranked this this low because I like the other ones better. There's nothing wrong with this book. You know what I mean? Uh, it was the biggest book out of all of them. There was a lot of cool things that we got to see. The initiation of Dumbledore's army. Them going to Grimald's place. Like, they like. I think the beginning is really what kind of put this lower than everyone else because Harry's kind of stuck off on his own, had had to fend for himself, had that weird encounter with the Dementors and Dudley, then had to go to the hearing, get himself left off. Dumbledore wouldn't even look at him. Finally gets to Grimald place, but like Ron and Hermione are already there. They can't give him answers, and I don't know. Like the the, the very beginning was just weird to me, and maybe that's why it kind of have a negative <laughs> taste in my mouth about it. But at the end of the day, like it did have one of my favorite moments. It had my actual favorite moment in all of the series where the, the battle of the Department of Mystery. So it definitely picked up. And it, like, like I said, it had really cool moments such as the DA and, and uh, uh, Dumbledore kind of escaping uh, the ministry. The humor he cursed Dalish and all the people in his room and escaped out of there, bounced out, and was doing his own work on the side. And, you know, we got to have that real first character we all just super disliked in Umbridge and how they overwhelmed her. And that, honestly, my second favorite moment, too, like Fred and George causing mayhem and giving her a hard time, that was in this book, too. But, you know, simply for the fact, because I like the other books more, is why, more than any reason, why this hit number four in my spot. But, yeah, so my number four ranking went to Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Uh, what do you have for number four, man? Yeah, it's... <laughs> so you're not going to like this. And I love this book. Like, don't get me wrong, I love this book. It's action-packed, it's fast, it's right at the right length. But Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, number four. Number four, man, and uh, I loved it. I mean, you know, you get to find out all about Severus's plan. You have the Battle of Hogwarts, which is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, you have them going back and forth into the Ministry of Magic, retrieving the locket, and uh, you have them going into Malfoy Manor and, and Dobby, and all these iconic moments happen. It was excellent. Like, it was a fantastic book. Just the other ones I had to rank higher because they have some of my favorite moments, but honestly, like, Deathly Hallows, too, like, um, has one of my favorite honorable mentions in Malfoy Manor. Uh, you see really Dobby step up to the plate. You learn all about as far as, you know, uh, going to Godric's Hollow and seeing the original spot of uh, where Voldemort killed Harry's parents and um, Patholda Bagshot. And as far as even in the whole uh, second half of the book, uh, you have the Gringotts Bank breakout with the Ukrainian Iron Belly and all that. It was excellent, and I, I mean, everything comes full circle with the Silver Doe and Albus and all that stuff, and hearing about Gellert Grindelwald and the Hollows, but I guess just because, maybe it's like sentimental value, I don't really know, but um, 
It took number four. And this was a very hard list. Like, this is probably, I will go ahead and say, this is probably one of the hardest lists of books I've ever had to do in ranking them together. So, Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows took number four. But if you don't read it, you're not a fan of Harry Potter. <laughs> Clearly, it's absolutely phenomenal. Back to you, Jay Nelly. Hey, man, my number three is Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, right? I'm at number three right now. Uh, I liked Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows a lot. There's just two other books I like more. Uh, like you said, like there is a <laughs> lot of great things that happen in here. We get a break in the Green Gods that was supposed to be impossible. We got that battle in the sky, which was one of my favorite moments. We get the whole resolution to the whole series at the end. We get to see the full plan laid out. We get to see the how each Horcrux was found and destroyed. We get so many big moments and full circles that come around to it. And it was great. There's nothing wrong with Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows. It's just I like two other books more that meant more to me. And that's, that's the only reason why it didn't go higher, right? So... My number three spot goes to Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows. What does your number three spot go to? Yeah, uh, it was kind of the same. Um, number three spot went to Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince um, for the reasons of we saw, you know, we find out <laughs> Snape is the Half-Blood Prince and we see spell creation. Uh, Sectum Sempra <laughs> is one of my favorite spells. I'm a sucker for, sucker for that spell. But also Dumbledore in the cave and you know one of my favorite heroes our favorite heroes dies um, that we've been with from the beginning and uh, you also see the Death Eaters I still call this book this is the Empire Strikes Back of Harry Potter like it really is like this is the book where you feel like all hope is almost lost and you need those books and those franchise series to make it great if you don't have a book like that, then you're, you know, you're, you, you know, it can't be the same. Like, even Aragon, like, Eldest was kind of that book at the very end. But it, it's just, it's an excellent book, just same thing, it, literally. Like, there's two other books here that mean more to me, and I don't know if it was even sentimental value. They're all a shade, like, a shade higher. Like... And always remember this too, guys, for our fans. Just because a book is thicker doesn't mean it's necessarily better. Like, I've read books that are thick and big that just suck. Um, and, and all these books that are big, they're very good. But Half-Blood Prince, um, I love seeing kind of the back story of Snape as he's going back and forth with the Death Eaters, like at Spinner's End. You even got to see the opal necklace, which was really cool. Um, and, uh, you know, we start trying trying and attempt to take down Horcruxes for the first time. Uh, it doesn't exactly go very well, but we try. Uh, so Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince came in at number three. What about you, Jay Nelly? Number two, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Uh, you know, I know you just went on a whole soliloquy about it, so I'm not going to take too much time, but... I love this yeah. book. Like you said, it was like the Empire Strikes Back of Harry Potter. We lost the most powerful wizard on the good guy's side that there was to contend with Voldemort, and it was a big, devastating loss. But then there was a lot of cool things leading up to it. There was the introduction of the Horcruxes and figuring out, oh, this is how Voldemort had the strength and power this whole time. And from there as well, like we, we also had 
students almost dying. We had Katie Bell with touching that necklace almost got killed. Ron drinking the poisoned mead almost died. You know, Professor Slughorn coming back into the fold after all these years because they were afraid, uh, Dumbledore was afraid that the Death Eaters would come and try to get, grab him as well. Like, there was just so many cool things in his private lessons with Dumbledore to kind of get into Tom Riddle's past. And it was just so intricate. And that's why it does so much for me. I love the small details, the things that lead up to the big climaxes more than so the climax themselves. And for that reason, man, and it's just it's, there's so many of them. I could go on and on about this book, but Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince came in at number two for me uh, on, on the entire rankings list. So with that being said, man, what do you got for number two? Yeah, uh, number two is your book, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. It's... I said it was my number two from the beginning. I was hoping it would hold the spot, and it did. It was fantastic. Uh, I <laughs> Not so much the film, because the entire third task was different, <laughs> but uh, the Triwizard Tournament was amazing. Like, to think of even that whole spot, think of even the spot of J.K. Rowling could have gone the whole vampire route, right? And she didn't. She chose to go with this whole Triwizard Tournament, which was bad fucking ass. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I'll say it. That was fucking amazing. Um, even at the end with, remember the spiders and Harry hurt his leg. Um, and, of course, the second task is iconic along with the first one because you have the dragons and the mermaids. And Dumbledore is speaking mermish, and you're finding out all this stuff. Um and they're trying to uncover the clues. But then you have this, right when you thought, like, that was the climax, you have the badass moment with the most evil wizard of all time. And unfortunately, cheers to the fallen. One of my favorite heroes, Cedric Diggory, goes down. Um, but, you know, it, it really, I just like you said, this is where we separate the kids from the adults. This is the book. It, it has everything you want in a book. Um, the other one, which you can probably narrow down <laughs> by now, uh, I, I don't even know. Like, maybe it's sentimental value, but they were all phenomenal. They were all excellent. I could read this book probably a thousand times and not get sick of it. Personal story, which you guys know I've told you before, there's been nights I stayed up the entire night reading this book and dissecting it, preparing for the show. And I don't regret any second of it. I would do it again to this day. It was absolutely fantastic. Uh, it always will hold a special part in my heart. Harry Potter and Goblet of Fire takes number two. What about you, Jay Nelly? My number one, said it from the beginning, this is not a surprise. My number one favorite book in this entire series is Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. It has everything you need in one specific novel. It starts off jumping off the page. Voldemort is not it's like a lifeless version of himself like almost like a lizard kind of crawling on like being pushed around on the chair by Wormtail and you know Frank Bryce sees something in like the Riddle House he goes up there ends up getting killed boom right off the way and we hear about this plan that involves Harry Potter we've got no idea what it is and then we see you know this this guy Mad Eye Moody we talk about how great of a wizard he was how he's a great aurora back in the day and now he's accepted the position of Hogwarts then we got this new defense against the dark arts teacher we're all on board for like awesome he's he knows like the real world stuff until it turns out that he's actually an imposter and he's a death eater this whole time he's showing these kids these unforgivable curses 
right off the rip. He turns Malfoy into a ferret and starts bouncing up and down like the fucking walls and ground and shit. Like, we, Harry wakes up, his, his scar is burning. You know, like, they go and take him to the Quidditch World Cup. We get this amazing... Like, because this is what was genius about it. Yes, J.K. Rowling took away Quidditch from Hogwarts, but she gave us the Quidditch World Cup. We got to see this badass match with the best against the best, and it was on the on the page, right? Because it wasn't shown in the film. On page, like you couldn't put that shit down. Like, oh damn, like this is crazy, right? And then that's done, and all of a sudden the Death Eaters come out, and you hear Morse Morty, and you see the the uh, the dark mark being formed above everything, and then the Death Eaters are torturing the Muggles and. The ministry is all in a frantic hype because this is the first time in 13 years that shit like this has happened since you know who's been gone. And, you know, then we get into the actual school year. We get introduced to new schools. We realize there's not just Hogwarts out there. There's Durmstrang. There's Bow Battens. And then all of a sudden there's this thing called the Triwizard Tournament where we bring in, you know, champions from each school. They're all going to compete each other against these amazing tasks. And like, the tasks themselves were crazy. The first one's against dragons. The second one, you guys swim down into the lake and fight people to free your best friends and people that are closest to you. And the last one's this maze where you got, you know, based on how well you did before, you enter at a certain time and you got these crazy obstacles in your way. And then, you know, uh, you get to the end of the cup and it's Cedric and Harry. You get to the graveyard and immediately, boom! This is it. You see someone get murdered right in front of your face on the page. Cedric gets hit with this Avada Kedavra curse, and he's dead. Boom. Cold stone on the ground. Nothing else to do for it. That's it. That's how we, Cedric, Cedric just came out of nowhere. Like, his death came out of fucking nowhere, right? Reading it for the first time, and then all of a sudden you got this big battle between Voldemort and Harry, and all the Death Eaters come back, and we see Voldemort, has re, like, he is a regenerative potion. He is back in full form like Dumbledore always predicted he would be. And, you know, we got this, like I said, like my, one of my favorite moments, like this battle between uh, Voldemort and Harry and you got the, the Priori Incantatum where the, the ghosts come out of the wand and smother him and he gets away and then we found out who the uh, imposter is and they break down the door and Barty Crouch gives up all the information and how he killed his own father how they jumped Mad-Eye Moody how his apology is potion how he never died in the prison and how it basically dude, we get so much not even to mention forget about all that shit think about just from the, the, the aspect of the kids as like the 14 year old people going through like the changes in life we get that yule ball we get the people feeling things for the opposite gender for the first time they're starting to really get into like what life is like harry's got this crush on cho chang but she's going with cedric and he's got to take parvati patil she's really pretty but like he has these feelings for somebody else and ron sees hermione with crumb and he's kind of jelly we get so much in one fucking book man I just there's nothing ever that's gonna I don't know if I'll ever read a better book than Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire and for that reason man that took my number one spot I know it was a long-winded answer for me but I just feel so passionately about this book man Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire is my favorite by far and that being said I'll turn it over to Chase and I'll let you give your number one book yeah I'm pretty sure you know what it is Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix for me is always gonna take the number one spot I was so glad it stayed there and I think the reason why for me is because maybe, I mean, I still remember when I read it. I was in the eighth grade. I told you uh, I went and saw Pirates of the Caribbean at the end of the night when I finished it. And I stayed up all week, like nonstop reading it. And I think because, you know, at the beginning, we see Harry. He was going through kind of like that depression state from Cedric Diggory. And it's kind of lingering over. And then Dudley Dursley, and he saves him. And Dudley Dursley has that change that goes on through the next four books. And I think part of the reason it kind of resonates with me is there's 
you know, it's very easily as a kid, like being in a kid, whether your family situation is good, bad, whatever, whatever you go through, it can be hard sometimes. And I think I really loved it because it was so real. Um, and then at the at that point, you know, right as Harry goes through this whole hearing prospect, because, um, you know, he uses magic outside of school again. So then that happens. But there's a whole twist in it where Dolores Umbridge was really controlling the Dementors the whole time. And you had that moment with Albus Dumbledore. Like you said in the film, Kingsley Shacklebolt said, Dumbledore's got style. <laughs> you broke out of there. And then you have literally uh, the whole Dumbledore's army is being created. And Hermione has that... Um, my one of my favorite characters has that amazing moment where she comes up with the whole idea with the coins to design the meetings and you're having the corporeal patronuses being formed for the first time but then at the same time then finally we're getting to the point of harry's having to study occlumency with another one of my favorite characters snape and but he's trying to block out you know voldemort from his mind so dumbledore isn't even acknowledging him through the whole book the entire time because there's that plan going on in the side that you don't even know about so there's so many different twists and then at that point finally you have this badass action scene at the end where you think harry's really saving the day but it's really just a big ass trap the whole time and then they go through the chamber ron's an idiot gets almost eaten by the brain neville neville has his whole like loyal moment again like neville always does which is kind of full circle for deathly hallows but then bellatrix is strange you know we lose one of our biggest heroes here um she goes up against sirius and he's not taking it seriously and falls through the veil and the veil was kind of creepy almost like that halloween horror moment where you can hear it through the veil and then just when you thought like we hit the max of the book but finally you have the only one who ever feared like the best going up against the baddest like the badass against the best and uh it was just amazing to see and um it will always take my number one spot for the book and i think really at the same time like it doesn't mean goblet of fire isn't close to that like honestly there's times i would almost rank goblet of fire higher but i think just because of sentimental value i have to even put order of the phoenix higher um and just because of the twists in the book uh so i and and that you cannot tell lies as i always gotta say i i must not tell lies so <laughs> i put that as number one let's just get that one more time ranked in order so without our explanations with it number seven for me Harry Potter, Chamber of Secrets. Number six for me, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Number five, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Number four, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Number three, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Number two, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. And number one, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. That is my list seven to one. Go ahead and give me your list seven to one, my man. Yeah, uh, number seven, I have Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Number six, I have Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Number five, I have Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Number four, I have Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Number three, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Number two, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And number one, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix takes my number one spot. And that is all of our rankings. There's one more thing that I do want to do quickly before we get out of here. I want to throw a great debate card at you real fast because <laughs> we don't get to do this cards. shit too hard here. Yes, sir. Do it, man. So, quick great debate. Out of 
all the cool artifacts that we got to see throughout the series, what is your what do you think the coolest artifact or anything that like the, the item that resonated with you the most? What do you think that was for you? What do you rank as the coolest artifact that you found throughout the Harry Potter series? I'm going with the one that's off the top of my head. It is a really badass artifact too. Uh, the Sword of Gryffindor, and you know I'm a Gryffindor now. They tried to sort me in Ravenclaw like Hermione Granger. I gotta go with my house. I think it's badass. I love the whole idea between goblins and wizard ownership and what they claim is rightfully theirs. The fact that Harry killed the Basilisk with it and was able to pull it out of the sorting hat just like a rabbit out of a hat, like the old children's story is absolutely phenomenal i wish i could take that to a fucking star wars mandalorian lightsaber battle <laughs> easter egg for you guys <laughs> and uh i wish i could because it, it was badass i would hang it on my wall if i could um we talked about it in interesting facts and you've talked about it on interesting facts jay nelly as far as it was made um you know by goblins and they thought it was rightfully theirs but it's not exactly true it's just great and it, it it plays a role all the way through the entire novel all the way all the way through the entire series all the way until the end in deathly hallows where of course harry sees it in the ice uh, and then ryan pulls it out and kills the locket so i gotta give it to the sword of gryffindor man what about you brother my favorite artifact the coolest one that i thought was honestly like i said you know i got i got a thing for beginnings brother i think the Sorcerer's Stone itself is the coolest thing that I've ever seen. It turns things to gold, so you can have all the money, and you have, it produces the elixir of life, and so you can live as long as you want. You can have all the money you want in the world, and all the life you want in the world. And man, like there's not a lot that you can't do with those things. If I got all the time that I need, and all the money that I need, I'm probably going to have a, a beautiful life, right? Like That's what I would assume, so... You know, there's just no no other artifact or like item that matches the intensity of what can be provided by the Sorcerer's Stone. So that being said, that is my number like like my top artifact that you know we found out throughout this entire series. I love the uh, the, the Sorcerer's Stone. I know it ended up being destroyed, uh, obvious for obvious reasons. They didn't want Voldemort to come back to life. But I even even that alone kind of shows how important it is. Like Voldemort was after that thing because of how cool and how important it could have been to him. And he was drinking unicorn blood to stay alive and all of that just to get that Sorcerer's Stone. But yeah, so I think that would be the coolest artifact that I found in the series. With that being said, though, guys, I know that we've taken a lot of time here. But at the end of the day, Chase and I, this is a culmination of everything we've done this season. And you know, when season two hits. Just know that we're going to come at it with the same intensity and same ferocity that we've came at it with season one. We love to do this. We love to give this to you. It's just that you know everything kind of comes to an end at some point. Season one has been long. It's been intensive. We want to give you guys a break as well. Catch up with some of the episodes maybe you haven't got to see. You know, so super super important there. And so I guess like one of the things I can say for the last time in season one is if you haven't already done so, if this is your first time joining us, or if you've joined us before but you haven't gotten around to doing it. Guys, go ahead and cast a spell on that subscribe button. You know, like, click like on all the social media platforms. Follow us at 
official ridiculous Patronus on Instagram. You know, follow us on Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy on our, our Facebook page. We have that TikTok we were talking about, which is at Ridiculous Patronus. We have RP Factor Fantasy on Twitter. You know, our amazing host site Podbean. You can listen to us through there. They've been amazing to us on we've been on their feature list since October. They they go ahead and repost our our new episodes in their actual stories on social media too. Like we couldn't ask for any better from our the people who support us. You know what I mean? So, guys, if you haven't done so, like, just, like I said, just give us a like, a follow, subscribe. It means the world to us. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It doesn't matter where you're listening through. We're on all the platforms. So if you got an iPhone, listen to us on Apple Podcasts. you got an Android, we're on Google Play. We're on Spotify, right? Like, we're anywhere you can get your podcast. And we have been since January 5th, 2020. And I'll say for myself, this has been one of the most fun things I've ever done. It's been one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done and. I got no plans of stopping, man. We're going to take this shit to the moon. That being said, I'll let Chase say his last words and we'll get out of your hair. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think this is definitely the moment and it's kind of a, um, you know, it hits home for Jay Nelly and I, especially like closing up Harry Potter here. Uh, this has been, you know, one hell of a ride. The train is off the rails. It is already parked at platform nine and three quarters again for a full circle moment. It's opened at the close. This is goodbye to the golden trio, Harry, Ron, and Hermione. And I'm going to let Jay Nelly sign us off. Not much more to say than that, right? You know, it's been a, it's been an amazing uh, season one. Looking for an even bigger season two. So for the last time in Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy season one, not much more to say than this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy, signing, signing off. off.